Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's go back to 2011. Look at the World Cup with Squish. Let's go back. Oh, baby, let's go back with Squish. We made it. We got there. This is it. This is the day everyone who's tuned into this podcast in the past, over the past Dies. 40... Thank you. Yes. That past 47... That would be really, really dramatic. Yeah. This is the podcast... This is like an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. A podcast that... What if a podcast could do crime... Um, there you are, Charlie Brooker. Have that one for free. Um, yeah. You're listening to the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective that's finally got to the final of the 2011 Rugby World Cup. I had a moment Mad. early today, as I was watching this final back, right? At half time, I paused it to try and book my vaccination. And that right. felt properly like the end of an era, didn't it? You know, <laughs> we spent lockdown doing this podcast. And now I was not only able to not book my vaccination because I had run into a technical difficulty. I was also able to watch the final back in full and then sit down and record this podcast. Yeah, it feels really, really bizarre that we've made the final. And it's been a really quite spectacular journey. Yes, of 47 games leading into this. And it yeah. has that thing that I love thinking this when watching World Cup finals back. I remember ha- allowing myself to have this thought during the 2019 final, watching that live mm. of every game, you know, you stop and you think about, you know, in that World Cup, like Uruguay against Australia, you know, every single game there was lead. That was just a completely random example for 2019 was leading into that final, you know, like sure. every moment of it was about a team, every team trying to get into that yeah. and every then beat of that final comes from this kind of pyramid of everything underneath it building up to it. Yeah. So every episode we've done, even, you know, the likes of USA, Russia, Georgia, Romania, South Africa, 87, Namibia, Nil, you know, all of those were leading into this. All of those meant that this could happen and this wouldn't yeah. have happened without all of them. It is crazy that we've had 20 teams, you know, we said goodbye to 12 of them in the group stage and now we've got, you know, the two best teams in the tournament going head to head. It's... um I'm I'm excited to talk about this final. So, can I begin with a controversial statement? Hang on. Who are you? Oh, I'm Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. Who are you? I'm Will Owen. Good. We probably should have met before we started the podcast. Yeah, man. Like, like maybe, Especially the last episode maybe, of the podcast. We should have done it on like, episode one, I think. Yeah. At yeah, least I like so. by episode three or four. Yeah. Like, Let alone 48. Like, okay. We were bonded enough by watching England-Argentina on episode five that that True. should have done it, really. We should have met there. We should, yeah. have, we should have said names, you know. But it kind of gets awkward after a certain point. You can't really and like, ask. Compared to England-Argentina, mm. you're quite interesting. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's I mean, it's right. a very low bar, but yeah. I'll take it. Compared to Georgia-Romania, um, you register on the map. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> give, me, give me some hot takes, bro. So, I want to offer you a very hot take right off the bat, you know. We better yeah, go for it, in. Normally, we wait about half an hour before doing hot takes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But... I think this World Cup final... This better not be about films. 
2011 is not as good as The Godfather. No, I no, actually, I disagree with that statement. I think this World Cup final 2011 is my favourite Rugby World Cup final. Okay, I was thinking that. I think this might be my favourite match of rugby ever. Really? Um, it doesn't involve Wales. That's it. You've got... I, I say that as a neutral, as someone that doesn't yeah. have an emotional attachment. I would say objectively rather than final. Uh, like subjectively with uh, like an emotional attachment of, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I like this game because Wales beat England 30 points to three. And there is yes. a bias that comes into that. And, you know, that's fine, right? Yeah, that's but... part of the appeal of... Absolutely, sport. of sport. Yeah, exactly. That you know, you you get attached to your team and you love it when they win, and then you hate it when they lose. But mm. with this, I think this this is certainly in my top five rugby matches I've ever seen. I think so. I think it's certainly absolutely my favourite low scoring game. Yeah, um, and I as I said, it's my favourite World Cup final. I think it's, it's I think it's the best World Cup final. No doubt, top five favourite World Cup matches. Yeah. Uh, another one is in this World Cup. Another one is Fiji Namibia in the start of this World Cup. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is in my top five. I mean, I think that a lot of the reason why we chose to do the 2011 World mm. Cup to kick off this podcast is because we reflect on it well because the final was so bloody good. You know? Yeah. That's and, that's a big part of how you reflect on a World Cup. Like, I think of the 2019 World Cup and I think of Cheslin Colby's sidestep. Exactly. Yeah, it becomes such a part of it. And frankly, 2007 is maybe the worst thought of World Cup. It's the least remembered fondly. Mm. Yeah. Partly because it had the worst final. It had a really boring final. Yeah. The two most boring finals, right? In 99 and 2007. Mm-hmm. 99 admittedly is the only one I haven't watched in full. Yeah. So I, I, I'm i going off the highlights there. Sure. But it's the most comprehensive. It's the big, biggest winning margin in a final. Yeah. And it's one eventually we'll get to on this podcast. And sure. I quite enjoy going through that because it's the one World Cup I don't really know as much yeah. about as the others. Yeah. So, yeah. But that one is perhaps the least fondly remembered because you had one sure. team who was clearly better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit like 2015, but 2015 had, you know, the likes of Japan standing up and, you know, Wales beating England and you had yeah, lots of bubbling away. 2015 leave. was memorable for different reasons. Yeah. That was a very special World Cup, but for a variety of reasons. Whereas you then have 2007, which is, as I say, a World Cup there's not a lot of nostalgia for. Yeah. And when the Springboks won in 2019, everyone went away and instead talked about 95 in comparison. Because yeah. there was a, A, there was a direct line, there was a very clean narrative between the two with you know, sure. Nelson Mandela to... Obviously, yeah. but then you also just kind of forget that one in the middle you know because yeah. it was a it wasn't a very interesting final there was kind of the one break and then a few nice kicks and otherwise you kind of just got on with it whereas this final man this final what a game of rugby this is what it's all about isn't it and i think to kind of get into it quite early safe to say france had been mostly written off during the week Mm. Not only because they were playing the All Blacks, but because there was so much internal conflict between the yes. coaches and the players and everything. Marc Lievremont, the French head coach, uh, had completely lost the plot by this point. And effectively, the likes of Thierry Doucetois, Dimitri Ashvili, Aurelien Rougerie, and sort of the senior players in, in that team had basically taken over. Yeah. yeah, They'd effectively taken the reins and gone, well, Lievremont can select us, but we're going to do all the coaching here. And... Everybody had written a France off, uh, mm. and in, including probably us at the time. You know, we'd yeah. probably thought, and th- they were many times referred to as the worst ever Rugby World Cup finalists. Um, and obviously, the All Blacks had so much pressure heaped on them that that became a really weird battle, didn't it? The team that has to win the World Cup and the team that can't win the World Cup. Yeah, so they played previously in the tournament. New Zealand had won 37-17, 20 point margin <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, they battered him. And it was compre- like that scoring flatters France. They had an interception try and then a try right at the death. Should not have counted. Yeah. yeah, like there were 
they were two quite soft tries scored in the last 10 minutes, really. Yeah. Or yeah. last 15 minutes. So, yeah, New Zealand were completely comprehensive and started to shut the yeah. game down and, you know, start trialling tactics for what if the game is already won in the second half. Yes. Yeah, that's how comprehensive they were in the first. Yeah. And so like a dress this rehearsal. Game, yeah, this game was, as you said, written off as a one-sided result. I watched the American coverage okay. for this. And they, 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 the one pundit they had on at the start talking about it said that the All Blacks will not slip up tonight. They will win this. They will finally get that monkey off their back. He was very, very certain. Okay. And that was kind of the tone of a lot of it, you know? Yeah. They weren't necessarily saying it, but the tone was, this is New Zealand's to lose, and most for likely sure. they won't. Yeah, for sure. The The pressure was, was very much on the All Blacks, as it has been mm. the whole World Cup. But not least in this match, not only because it's the final, but because, for example, they'd lost Dan Carter, then they'd lost Colin yeah. Slade. And it's it felt like if ever there was a time where they're going to crumble, it's now. Uh, especially yeah. to say that they they put together their two best performances of the World Cup in the, the previous games. Argentina tested them quite a bit in the quarterfinal, but the All Blacks showed sort of the resolve to pour through that. And then Australia They were, shut down. Like, yeah, it's a really, just... really good Wallabies team, and they shut it, shut them That was, down. Th- honestly, like, considering the quality of their opposition, that Wallabies mm. game was one of the best all-black performances you'll see. Yeah, it, they were they were fantastic. The other thing that's mentioned on the American coverage is they refer to them, quote, as a team of destiny. And they said, you know, previously seen in 1995, uh, that Springbok team was a team of destiny. You know, they felt mm-hmm. destined to win that World Cup. And that was exactly what all those players were on the planet to do. Yeah. And you felt that about New Zealand was the amount yeah. of pressure on them. And as I said, the fact they hadn't won a World Cup since 1987. Yeah. And we've said this many times this podcast. The pressure on New Zealand in the later stage of this World Cup was unlike the pressure on any other team in the history of rugby union. Yeah. Like absolutely. no other team has felt the pressure that the All Blacks had of we are the best team in the world and you have to win the World Cup and literally nothing else will do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, it's, it, it's unacceptable if they yeah. if they lose this final. If they lost this by, if Francois Tranduke had kicked a goal in the last minute and won this, that wouldn't have been good enough. It would be getting you know, brought that up today. Been, yeah, that would have been like Graham Henry would have been hung by a tree. Yeah, should we look at the teams? We'll... Yes, let's. So we have an unchanged team for France again. They yeah. oh, the semi final was the first time they named an unchanged team under Marc Lievremont. Uh, in his four years in charge, he's then the mad lad's gone and done it again and named another unchanged 15. Um, so Maxime Maydard at fullback, Vincent Clair, Alexis Pat. It's a really strong team. It's, yeah, that back three is great. You know, they, they've been on such good form, uh, Maydard and Clair in particular. And, Palace you know, on the left wing. Centre's really gelled together in Mermoz and Rougerie. The yeah. pack is excellent. You know, Pape and Nale in the second row, really yeah. bastardy. That the front, front row, row is very, very good. Yeah, Pooh, Servat and Mass. Uh, and we've not even mentioned... You know, the, I mean, we've, we've basically the, we've gone through the whole team. The back but... row, the back row, right, is exceptional. Dusatois, yeah. Bonaire, Aaron Nordicke, they I think that's as good a back row as you will have seen, seen this in World Cup. any competition. Yeah, uh, they have dragged them here. Dimitri Yashvili at scrum half playing brilliantly really well, yeah. and then they have another player as well. Yeah, and then and then in amongst this fourteen man of excellence, they for some reason persist with Morgan Parrott at fly half. And I mean, don't get me wrong, Morgan Parra, excellent player. In fact, world class player at times, mm. but is not a fly half. This world is about scrum half. I think this this is what the fifth or sixth game he's played at fly half in his senior uh, career. So he had played one game at fly half as an adult prior to this World Cup. Yeah. Uh he then started against the All Blacks and he started the quarter final and semi final. Okay. So yeah. This is this is number Do five. Do the math. Yeah. yeah. 
So on the bench, they have Sarzewski, Barcea, Pierre, Wedrago, Dusan, Tranduk, and Try. One of those uh, names stands you, out. But you've, we'll... you've, you, yeah, you've moved past too quickly there, as everyone does, right? So when they read, and I went back and looked at a couple of versions of the commentary on the opening teams coming out, yeah. and no one stops and flags up the fact they have an uncapped scrum half on the bench. And they have a scrum half who's never played for France before. On the so, bench. To, to, to do a bit of a spoiler, there's a point where mm. Stephen Donald comes on and uh, one of the commentators points out that that's his, he's the first person to ever make his Rugby World Cup debut in the final. But mm. for Jean-Marc Dusan, it's not just his Rugby World Cup debut. He has never played a game for France before. He's never played international rugby before. He's played a bit for Toulouse, probably been all right. That's kind of the he story. He was 21. He was 21 21 years old. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll come on to how those players on the bench, uh, including Dusan, play when when they come on when we go through the game. But should we look at the All Blacks? Let's. So yeah, the All Blacks team again. They're kind of forced to make a couple of couple of shuffles. Yeah. We have Aaron Cruden continues at fly half. Yeah, the very inexperienced to... at the point, Aaron Cruden, yeah. of course, who Aaron was not Cruden... clearly not very much trusted by Graham Henry talked in some detail in the episode of the semi-final about how inexperienced he was he was 22 yeah. was was not perhaps the sharpest didn't really kick goals at the time had only really yeah. started that season in order so to bolster his all blacks chances he partnered Piro Wipu, who was the, the kicker he took the kickoffs mm. kicks to touch and kicks at goal that's uh, the weird thing seeing a nine kick off is weird it is a bit isn't it sometimes yeah Manonu and Conrad Smith had been on excellent form all world mm-hmm. cup Nonu in particular has been tearing it up and then that back three of uh, Richard Kahui coming in on the left wing with Corey Jane and Israel Dag making up the rest of the back three, who again all been playing very well. Israel Dag has scored a hatful of tries throughout the pool stage yeah. and set the one um, up for Manonu in the semi final. And again, it's a very classic All Blacks pack, isn't it? Woodcock, yeah. Mialamu, Franks, Fawn, Whitelock, Kaino, McCaw, Reed. Yeah. Come on. Let's uh, also, like, the last. So between the last two All Blacks games. Uh, Richie McCaw on this podcast has received three man of the match nominations. Uh, he he has really peaked, as you say. Like he he's playing on one and a half legs, isn't he? Yeah. So he's, he's, his ankle's gone, uh, mm. and his rib is damn it. His rib is like heavily bruised or cracked or something. And yet playing the best um, rugby of his career. <laughs> close to close yeah. to he's playing brilliantly well. So the bench for the All Blacks is Andrew Hall, Ben Franks, Ali Williams, Adam Thompson, Andy Ellis, Stephen Donald, and Sonny Bill Williams. Mm. I suppose the biggest call being Andy Ellis over Jimmy Cowan. Sure, um, yeah. yeah. And then, but he'd been playing well in the group stage, yeah. hasn't he? So it makes sense. And Stephen Donald being, you know, mm. unexpected. They hadn't yeah. needed to bring him on. He'd come and sat on the bench in the semi-final. They hadn't brought him on. They had no intention of bringing him on. And yeah. I think the plan here was they weren't going to bring him on unless Cruden either got injured or had an absolute shocker. Yeah. They were planning and... to play Carter for 80 minutes. If he got injured, they'd play Slade for 80 minutes. If he gets injured, yeah. they'd play Cruden for 80 minutes. And that's just the way it is. That they were not planning to use any reserve fly halves throughout this tournament uh, in yeah. the knockout stages. We'll see how that goes for them. Um, yeah. So, the... The, Of course, the last team to select to, to go through is the referee, the official team. So the referee is Craig Joubert from South Africa. On those touch judges, he has Nigel Owens from Wales and Alan Roland from... Island. Um, I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. As the TMO, they have Julio dos Santos. I don't actually know where he's from, but they have him. Argentina. Yeah, I guess so. Something like that. But yeah, there's the there's the officiating team. Of course, the the TMO is a very quiet day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so there's a moment. There's a video World Rugby uploaded four years later of Joubert watching back this World Cup final. They ask Mm. him about the experience of refereeing a World Cup final, 
and he said, ever since I was a boy, I've always dreamt of this. Yeah, so that means he, he wanted to be a player, right? Who, no, he was a kid who grew up dreaming of refereeing the World Cup final. I'm I, so happy for him that he managed it, man. Like, the the considering he is the only kid who ever dreamt that, I'm glad he managed it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I, I think his phrasing makes it sound like, I wanted to play for the Springboks, and then I realised I'm not good enough to play for the Springboks and make it to a World Cup final, so I'm going to be a referee, and I'm still dreaming of that final, but in a different capacity. I, no, 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 no. No, I heard that as I wanted to be a referee. Ever since mm, I can remember, enough. I wanted to be a referee, but it's not good fellas. So, pre-match, uh, yes. we, we, can, we can talk about that. So, uh, France had won a, a coin toss to determine... Uh, who plays in what kit. Uh, so mm. France had won the toss and they'd been told, you can play in blue and the All Blacks can play in white if you like. And they instead flipped it and said, no, we'll play in white, you play in black, as a way of kind of thanking the All Blacks for a, a good World Cup and good hospitality mm. and stuff. And it would have felt weird seeing the All Blacks run out in white for the first time in the World Cup in the actual final. I wonder if that was actually a factor in the game. You reckon? I wonder if that would have got under their skin. because well, Yeah, cause it would have, because it would have pissed Graham Henry off. Let's Let's be real. McDonald said it about the 2007, said that playing in their change kit, in that grey kit, actually did affect the team. And they right. felt uncomposed and they felt pissed off about it. Yeah. Like they couldn't play in black. I, because I the do Blacks think always that... play. I've seen the All Blacks play not in black since then, maybe once. Yeah, yeah. I think there's been a couple of occasions, maybe, where they've done it. But mm. it, it feels like a novelty when they do. But yeah, that would have been a good bit, bit of shit if they made them play in white in the actual final. But no, fair play to France. They uh, yeah. they respected the All Blacks tradition of playing in black and said, no, 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 you're the home team. You can you can play in black. It's just, do you know what it you know says to me, right? What? It says to me that rugby's different. It's different. It's got so many values, it's man. Different. Like it's got respect and sportsmanship you know, you and all that shit. Some, like Twitter just started at this point, right? This is the first World Cup with Twitter. Yeah. Hashtag rugby values. Yeah, man. Right there. Get it out there. Yeah. Like, you, you just get it. You know, you don't get other sports where someone might have a beer with someone they played with for five years. From Absolutely. The team. Absolutely. You know? People don't say hello to their friends in other sports. No, they don't. They don't. Especially when they're, they're, they're like really, really good mates already. Um, and yeah. they may end up happening to wear different kits. You know, oh, man. What a, what a game. What a sport. Well, it's just Let's different. do a podcast about this. Let's just, um, it's just, just how different it is. Yeah. <laughs> You're so, listening to the Rugby Values podcast. You're um, you're listening. No, it's just weird. I'm just I was just going to be different. So, so the two teams come out again. The American coverage says, uh, "Look at the sheer confidence on Richie McCaw's face. Look how confident he is. He's so confident he's going to win the World Cup with sheer just absolute outright confidence. There's so much, so much confidence." And then they say, "Well, let's have a look at this French team. I don't see that sort of confidence in Dusseldorf in France." And Hmm. No, I don't think it was confidence, but I think there was certainly something on their face. Yeah, Dusseldorf looks fierce, man. He like, looks in the tunnel. He's he's looking at the All Blacks like, oh yeah, yeah. All right, lads, I'm going to beat you up. So should we, should we skip the anthems and just go to the hacker response now? Right? We'll yeah. Sure. Okay. Let's do this. So because I've got a point leading on from that. So the All Blacks come out. Do actually, you know, I think it's maybe the all-time greatest rendition of God Defend New Zealand I've heard. Hmm. Yeah. The entire crowd really in on it. Everyone's emotional. Richie McCall's yeah. very emotional. Hilly Weston Rod's there singing it. Yeah. You know, he spent a lot of time on her face. And yeah. fair play to her. Well done. You've got a face. The French team belt out the anthem as best they possibly yeah. can in the conditions. You know, few of, them really, few of them look really emotional. Apart from Alexis Palisson, who for some reason has gone completely cross-eyed. 
and his eyes are looking in different directions. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, <laughs> he looks before... like a frog with eyes on the side of his head. Before you get onto the hacker response, there's um, a particular line of, of commentary. So I listened to the Australian commentary. Mm. And at one point they point out that Allegedly, Richard McCourt had been to see the World Cup before, but had chosen not to touch it because he felt he hadn't earned it yet. But surely yeah. you're not actually allowed to touch it until no. you win it. Like, we went and saw the World Cup yeah. in 2015, and we were told specifically, please do not touch like, the trophy. The, the trophy itself, rather yeah. than we hadn't just gone to watch it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, when they do the trophy tours or something. Yeah, and we, we got our picture taken next to the trophy and stuff, but we were told specifically you cannot t- touch the trophy. And do you know why? Because you've not won the World Cup. We thought, you know what? Fair dues. <laughs> yeah, like, we're quite you know a I'll, way off doing that. I'll, I'll come back when I've done that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe a few years' time. Absolutely. But yeah, Richie, McCall, Richie McCall claimed he chose not to touch the trophy. It's like, well, if you did... I mean, don't get me wrong. Richie McCall famously puts his hands on things he's not necessarily mm. allowed to um but that sounds really um uh, <laughs> yes that's allegations coming out <laughs> yeah, right here. rugby yeah. it's different it is so different but yeah uh I just just thought that was quite interesting that richard mccaw had yeah. allegedly made some kind of statement yeah. about how humble he is and stuff and it, it felt a bit of, counterproductive it stinks of sam warburton wearing that lion's jersey everywhere when he was yeah. eight and then saying he was never going to wear another piece of lion's like official uh, apparel until he yeah. was a real one until he earned it yeah um you know from the age of like 10 onwards oh it would be so different but it's, it's that very it's a very rich and McCall story you know if yeah. you watch our documentary on him, there's a lot of him doing things like that like symbolic gestures until he felt like he sure. earned it yeah and working stupidly hard until he actually broke himself and then yeah. he continued going anyway because you know he had to walk up to win yeah, for sure. So, hacker response. Let's go. So, hacker response. Yes, well, so hacker as well. Set up to do the hacker. And there was so much more talk around the hacker at this point, you know? About 10 years ago, people were really, really in the habit of, A, asking if someone was going to do a hacker response. I think yeah. maybe because it came so soon after, it was two years after Way was doing their infamous yes. hacker response. Standoff. Um, yeah, yeah the, the standoff until the All Blacks back down themselves. Worth looking up on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Yeah, that's great. It's the good only good television. It's one of two good rugby videos on YouTube. It's that and send him off, send the dirty get off, oh, get him off the field. One. Yeah, they're basically the same thing. Yeah, uh, it's what actually Ryan Jones was saying to the referee. <laughs> so you you have that. Yeah, you, so you have yeah that the All Black Kids the hacker and yeah there was a lot of talk about will there be a response during the week. France in the previous World Cup joined the hacker had worn T-shirts. Uh, it's a kit, and then he'd taken them off during the hacker. Mm. Um, and there's the famous clip response. of Sebastian Chabal like squaring up to Ali Williams yeah. during the hacker. And so this time, uh, New Zealand start their their Kamate hacker, mm. and France just start getting changed. So they take off their tracksuits like whilst they're they're setting up. And it is, a, I guess, it is a thing of like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to assert our dominance by looking like we don't care, which doesn't really help because i think that just fires them up a little bit more uh the all blacks but anyway so they get changed uh take off their tracksuits you know put them behind them mm. whatever whilst the all blacks are starting to do their war dance and then they form some kind of arrowhead formation yeah uh with deuce in the middle as the captain yeah. <laughs> this is a potential Dick of the Day moment. Uh, Francois Tranduke goes to the wrong side. Oh, um, yes, and he has to swap back over. Yeah, he, he realises there's someone in the spot he was going to and has to run oh, over behind as they begin to advance. How utterly confused Damien Try looks about all of this. <laughs> like, clearly in in training the whole week, he'd been thinking, like, why an arrowhead? Why is that relevant? Yeah. And they'd be like, no, because it's symbolic of something. And He's Damien Try just looks so uncomfortable with this whole thing. <laughs> um. So this, what I don't know if you know much about 
where this came from. No, not a clue, mate. Um, not a clue. So... I've been wondering about it for the last 10 years. Uh, so apparently the French squad had discussed a hacker response mm-hmm. and they didn't really <laughs> have improvised. anything. Yeah. Well, that's it. So the day beforehand, Thierry Dussetois himself went, why don't we do this? Mark Lievermont tried to stop his team from doing it. Um, he said that they shouldn't do it. He apparently called it too far walking into their half. Because what they do, what they do is they mm. form into an arrowhead formation and they walk towards the hacker. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they flatten up into one straight line and they basically they get to the halfway line. And is it the 10 meter line they're not allowed to cross or is it halfway? They're not allowed to cross halfway. They're not allowed to cross halfway. So and they get there and not... then they start encroaching from there and inching forward further and further to get closer to the All Blacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason. So, I still don't uh, yeah, really so know England... how this asserts dominance. England got fined for it in 2019. Yeah, of course. So Thierry Dussetois, I'm going to read you his quote. He said, at one stage, we were so close to them, we wanted to kiss the New Zealanders. But I told them to take it easy. I, I've not heard that. I mean, Sonny Bill Williams, very good looking man. Yeah. You know, like, uh, who would have been at the front? Richie McCall? Yeah, I you guess know, so. Like, you watch his documentary, there's lots of stuff about him being so frustrated as a young man. You know, yeah. like, he probably, probably would have appreciated it. It's not actually a gesture of asserting your dominance. It's just a gesture of goodwill. Rugby's just, different. He just, look, what this really comes down to is Deuce Tom really, really fancied Perry Wifu. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just really fancied him. Yeah. And, you know, and thought, you know, we, we could take him up some romantic dinners every day. Yeah, yeah, every single day at Pizza Hut. In, Multiple times a day. In Just outside the London Welsh Centre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is really what Thierry Dussard dreamed of. Imagine if Dussard signed for London Welsh after this World Cup <laughs> as a result of that. As a romantic gesture. Yeah. You yeah. know, like when Bowden Barrett signed for boyfriend. the Blues because it was better for his wife's job. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly like that, you know? <laughs> oh, that would have been great. But no, so uh, France encroach and they, they keep, keep walking forward towards the All Blacks, uh, towards their 10 metre line. And then after the All Blacks finish, France just kind of looked like oh shit, we're quite close to them. What do we do now? Like, they're close enough that they could all hit us. And Ma Nonu points at him and Aaron Ordeke and gestures, like, I'm going to slit your throat uh, mm. to him as a, as a way of basically just saying, like, you're dead, mate, for coming near me and trying to, like, trash talk me like this. Which is, you know, I guess, like, if you're tra- going to try and assert your dominance over the All Blacks in that kind of a way, I guess it's what he, would, what he deserved. <laughs> like, Ma Nonu to taunt you back. Yeah, I mean, it's a bold thing to do, isn't it? It's a bold place to go, try yeah. and talk Marnonu. If you're Marnonu, if you look like Marnonu, if you're as big as Marnonu, you would tell him, no, you're not going to fucking mess with me, right? <laughs> However, do you know what did stop France? What? The International Rugby Board, who stepped in and fined them £2,500. Oh, right, yeah. I, so, do, I do recall this, actually, yeah. France then got fined £2,500 for crossing halfway, yeah. right? World Rugby would then, and they continue to, to this day, use it in promotion on their own social media, saying, yeah. what a great, iconic moment. What a famous, famous yeah, moment this it's is. funny, that, isn't it? And Craig Joubert said he loved it. Yeah, yeah, Craig Joubert said he loved it. <laughs> Who else loved this? Who? Richard Cockrell. Huh? And I don't know why this has come up, right? But I found an article in The Independent, which began by saying that... <laughs> It began with a quote from Richard Cockrell, who I don't know why they were talking about this. He apparently, he, so he was told during a post-training press conference, right, that this has happened for a reaction because they wanted this is is on every story in rugby. Okay, and apparently he laughed so hard he almost fell off his chair, <laughs> and then said, "It's madness, isn't it?" 
fair enough. I think I think that's. I mean, that's an apt description oh, of the final because he crossed the halfway line in 1997 while facing the All Blacks. Ah. Um, so they asked him about it. Okay. Uh, he laughed for about a solid minute, then said, "It's madness in it." Uh, the hacker is a great New Zealand tradition, but I don't think the French are out of order. Fair I play. I thought it was great theatre. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, I can try it if you want. Uh, without turning it into a free for free for all, the opposition should be able to do whatever they want. I don't think it's an issue. Fair enough, I guess. I mean, that's that's obviously the response that Richard Cockerell was going to say. Like, I didn't expect anything else. Like, you know, anything goes in Richard Cockerell's world, I suppose. Yeah. I like also that Mark Leovenmark said that Thierry Ducetroy tries to stop them walking forwards. Really? Like both of them have blamed each other. Fair play. I mean... Because the line looks out of... It doesn't move in unison. No, it looks slightly uncomfortable, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, much like Damien Try, I suppose. Uh, yes. Maybe he coordinated all of this but and it, just wanted to blame d- somebody else. The crowd really builds at that moment. Yeah, like really, yeah. They really, really. And like for both it. teams, you know, like the All Blacks yeah. are thinking, like, oh, they dare do this, you know, let's let's batter them. And France are thinking, go on, lads, you walk forwards in an arrowhead formation towards those really scary men doing a war dance in front of you. And then my favourite moment from this response is literally the second the the final words of Capropanga are are barked out. Mm-hmm. Thierry Dussois turns and walks away. He's yeah. the first one to break out before the All Blacks even finish the, the final gestures of it. Yeah. He turns and walks away. The rest of the team is still there. And he has this look on his face of, okay, so yeah. what? Got a job you know, to do of like, No, it's not even that. It's more like, why do we waste our time with that? You know, like he turns away and walks off. Yeah. It's, it's like he's, you know, he's just watched like a really bad fringe play and he's walking out for the mm, next one. Sure. Um, he doesn't look like he gives a single shit. Yeah. And then the version I watched at least didn't have an ad break here. So they just showed the stadium yeah. for the the solid minute whilst their adverts playing in number territories. And that really helps build the atmosphere. Yeah. Because you have the crowd baying for blood. Yeah. You have everyone screaming and shouting. And Anticipation, isn't it? Left to stand on halfway, having not kicked off. And the whole thing really begins to boil even more than it would if they just kicked off immediately after that. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think it's better, and the the atmosphere is better for that ad break. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The crowd is so loud that you're, mm. you you reach that point where you wonder like, are they going to be able to hear the referee? You know? Yeah. Especially when the oh. the, the camera then goes on to Craig Joubert, and he looks he looks a little bit intimidated, but you would in a crowd like hey, that. Hey, he's been dreaming know? of this since he was a boy. He has. Yeah, and then like there's a few moments where the hooker can't hear the line out call and has to come over and mm, ask yeah. for clarification, like. Uh, Shoszewski at one point in the second half has to properly walk into. The yes, line I now. love that. <laughs> so that he he stood in the middle of the on. tunnel, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, the crowd is on top form here, and like it, it swings from chance of All Blacks, All Blacks to a Leleble. Because uh, presumably like everyone noise. who isn't an All Black supporter was supporting France in this game, because we all love an underdog, don't we? So yeah. uh, I think there was a, a, a stronger contingent of French fans as this game went on. Yeah, I mean it's it 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 just becomes the sheer noise and sheer sound, yeah. and then we kick off. And I'm really glad France won the toss and chose to kick off because mm. watching a scrum half kick off the World Cup final would have been weird. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, I mean, I mean what happened anyway? Because it's Morgan Parra. But yeah, I was going to say. I mean, within a minute of kick off, Yashvili kicks a ball out on the full, and you kind of think, oh, this is going to be ominous, isn't it? Yeah. So it begins with box kicking, like in the middle of the field, back and forth. Yeah, when teams did that rather than box kicking on the tram lines. Yeah, yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Seeing yeah, pre Joe um, Schmidt. Yeah, 
but that first line out is overthrown and Julian Benet steals it. And there was just tints of, because like, that happened a couple of times the previous week for France against Wales. Mm. And that's where Bonaire really stood up. And you start to think, okay, the French back row are really, really going to get a grip on this. And they, they managed to work the ball wide. And Vincent Clare makes kind of a half break within a couple of minutes yeah. of kickoff. And you're thinking like, okay, France are here to play. Yeah, I it's mean... It's a good statement. So Grant Nisbet makes the point on commentary a few times of France haven't done much of the ball in this World Cup, but they've really come to play this time. Yeah. They're really using the ball well. And he keeps saying that over and over again, but there's a reason for it. And yeah. I also think it's a bit harsh on France because they were they played some really attacking rugby in the up to the quarterfinal in the pool stage. Sure. And other than Tonga, you know. But they, Granted, most of it was in the last 10 minutes of games. So yeah, maybe Grant still, Nisbet was, you know, leaving early to Yeah, yeah, he avoid to traffic. Wee, you know? yeah. yeah, exactly. He's got, he's, he's, he's getting on in years at this point. Yeah. So yeah, so it things begin to boil. There's one ruck uh, right after the Bonaire half break after the overthrow, where only Richie McCaw enters from the All Blacks and six French players enter to try and blast him out of the ruck. Yeah. And, and Richie McCaw manages to slow that ball down by a good fifteen seconds. Yeah. He slows that ball down and takes almost half of the French team out of the attack. I have no idea how legal it is, but let's ignore it. Oh, that. obviously it's not legal. Yeah. It's Richie McCaw. Yeah, exactly. And like, don't and like Richie McCaw gets away with a lot in this game. Yeah, but he's he's and... literally the best in the world at doing that. Bonnet, ooh, Julien Bonnet sees that and goes, "Hold my beer." Yeah, I'm not going to claim that France's rucking in this game was squeaky yes. clean. There was quite a few questionable turnovers from both teams, namely Richie McCaw. Like yeah. he he gets a lot of turnovers that just are not legit at all. So, but that's fine because he got away with it, and if if you get away with it, it's legal. So one point in the first ten minutes, Bonnet makes a tackle, then lies on the Kiwi side of what would be the ruck, but only Kiwi players enter, and so that means the ball is not out you know it means there is no ruck there's no tackle line offside line formed and so the ball begins to spell out Bonnet just picks it up and throws it back Mm. from what looks like an offside position he's the tackler lying in the way of the scrum arc yeah he effectively does like a dive pass doesn't he yeah like back onto his own side yeah and what he said it's it's the same thing Italy did against England in 2016 yeah it's he knew no tackle line was formed exactly the fox Bonnet does that but he just lies in an offside position and reclaims the ball it's brilliant I love it's one of those things that looks so illegal it looks so illegal that you know it has to be legal because there's no other way a seven of Bonnet's quality would do it yeah yeah it's it's like peak Julian Bonnet he knows the laws so inside out he knows that wasn't legally technically a ruck yeah and he therefore can just walk up and steal the ball yeah yeah and like Bonaire gets away with a lot of stuff like that throughout the game, as does Dusatois, to be fair. Yeah. There's another one where like Rougerie basically just seals off an all blacks ruck and then pops the ball up and somehow gets away with it. Like inside yeah. France's own twenty two. And I don't know if it's just a thing of just like this referee's human. He's probably not going to give this between the posts in a World Cup final because that's going to be a massive call. And this is really, really obvious. Like, why would a player of my calibre do this in a World Cup final? I wouldn't unless I knew it was legal. There's a thing Joubert says in that little bit of him watching back over the game. Have I felt mm. confident that that call was clear and obvious enough uh, yeah. with 15 minutes to go? Sure. Which suggests to me that he let a lot of things go, especially yeah. in the second half, where he knew they would be contentious. That's right, because in that video he said that there's a point where he evaluated like how clear and obvious things have to be in the last 20 minutes when there was one point yeah. in the game, which kind of implies that he wasn't already doing that. Yeah, but I really like the way Joubert referees this game. I yeah. know there are people that complained about it, but this game is so open. Yeah, that's it, that's it. Like, Say what you want about mistakes that were made 
and believe me there were there were a mm. lot there were a few of them you know uh but also on the flip side if you look at any refereeing game you yeah. know there will always be mistakes you know and pe- people have analyzed Craig Gilbert's performance in this final people have accused him of match fixing and everything like which is ridiculous. which is ridiculous yeah but like there's there's a video on youtube of i think it was uh, some kiwi tv channel mm. who did an analysis of this and don't get me wrong it was comprehensive and very convincing yeah the sort of mistakes that they pointed out that uh, Joubert made. There's a video on YouTube called The Anatomy of a Final where somebody goes into, you know, a 25-minute deep dive on all of this. Look, if you're the sort of person who is into uh, talking about refereeing decisions in sport and that's not a bad thing, then I would recommend those. I personally am not on this particular occasion See, okay, what as I we're doing just, this podcast. What I absolutely just hate is 25-minute breakdowns of one rugby match on YouTube. Sure, yeah. Just that only, only a wank could ever make them or yeah. watch them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. If if, no, if, no, if you're many, interested many in that, lovely, lovely people would watch them. Yeah, but you know, no one would ever make them. But no, if you're interested in that, then yeah. I recommend going for it because it is very in depth and it is actually quite interesting. So, but let's go it. with the reading that that Joubert uh, does referee. This it's a really good yeah, game, Joubert, and a lot of that comes down to the referee. Joubert blows for things very, very quickly. Yeah, or he doesn't blow for them at all. Yeah, you know, there's very little. Waiting, making his mind up and blowing the decision. Absolutely. You yeah. look at, um, I think every single scrum, there's no scrum resets in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, so the, there's only one scrum in the first half an hour. The second scrum of the game is on 31 minutes. Um, and that's France's first put in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a single scrum reset. So off yeah. the top of my head. Because he either blows for a penalty right away if something goes down or, or a free kick. Or he just lets the ball play on. Sure. And I like that. Yeah, I like that. Because the thing that really stood out to me watching this back today, now, you know, is how high the ball in playtime is. Yeah, yeah. The the ball in playtime must be the highest of this entire World Cup. And it must be, even by, you know, the ball in playtime always gets higher and higher and higher. So yeah. It's got higher every single World Cup on average. And it's got actually, the last three World Cups, it's increased by smaller ex- increments. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it really slows down as we go on. Mm. But, but the ball in, this must have been the highest ball in play time of this World Cup, and I think it's higher than we would get in most games nowadays. And the best thing about a high ball in play time is mm. that both teams get knackered, and it means yeah. that the intensity has to be through the roof. And this is, as I say, it's probably the highest intensity test match I've ever seen uh, this mm. final. It's it's absolutely insane when it gets to the second half, uh, and the, the amount that the two teams have to battle. And, like, again, like... The amount of silly decisions that teams might or might not make mm. is probably the mark of it when when they're under the cosh, you know. Mm. There's a ruck France have forty meters out from the line that I remember thinking to myself, "This is just as tense as most five meter rucks yeah. in other games are." Because, and this is the thing I've talked about in the past that I absolutely love about this game is that every single moment feels relevant. It feels like the game could burst and For sure. break. For you sure. know, like there are times in which France are just popping it to Pape to set up a ruck and you feel like this could decide the game, yeah. right? Anytime they, they make two passes in a row, you start to think, is Van Sonclair going to, you know, make a little break like he almost did in the first minute? Yeah. Are we going to find some space for Rougerie? Absolutely. What's going to happen? Any moment feels like it could break. And it is, as I said, the ball in playtime was so, so high. Most games this tight and this tense, as we saw in perhaps the Wales-South Africa game in 2019, which I think is one of the other contenders for the most intense game yes, I've ever seen. Agreed. Uh, and the most balanced and level. Most games like that are dominated by kicking. Yeah. And this game was an incredibly tense and tight game with one point in it where both teams were running the ball. 
Yeah. And most of the ball stayed in hand and most of the ball stayed going through the and hands and through the You still phases. get, like, even though this is one of the tightest games you'll ever see, mm. you still get the old speculative offload and people yeah. going for really bold plays. Like, there's a point where Pascal Pape goes through a bit of a gap and then he tries this really speculative offload. There's about 30% chance of going to hand. Mm. Monon intercepts it and boats it downfield. France are back in their own 22. And that's a proper sliding doors moment, isn't it? That, like, you know, the difference between the All Blacks defending on their own 10 metre line mm. and and then defending in the French 22. It's such a massive turning There's point. There's a superb like that. one in the second half where France throw about five offloads in a row. Mm. And then one of them gets into Yashvili's hands who just like dinks it behind yeah. the, down the line yeah. and into the corner and forces Dag to slice a kick. Yeah. And it's very like, no, this is a World Cup final. We've had enough of this now. Everyone shut up and put your dummies back in your No jouet, only tactics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do not have jouet now. Not in this house. Not under Yashvili's rules. Also, after Marnonu does that kick into the French 22, mm. it's a brilliant kick over a the French line. Kick. Phil Kearns on the Australian commentary says, that's the first time I've ever seen Marnonu kick a footy. And it's like, mate, yeah, he's I... one of the best kicking centres in the world. Grant Nisbet says that's a rare kick by Marnonu. Like, he... like, and I know he'd only just added the kicking game in sure, the sort of yeah. year leading into this World Cup. But if you've been watching this World Cup, he's kicking a lot, yeah, you know? Yeah, and he obviously, well. say, by 2015, he's developed to the point at which he's one of the best kicking centres you'll ever see. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, by 2015, he's the most well-rounded and best centre you'll ever see. For sure. But, but no, there wasn't a rarity at, at this point. point. No, like, if you've been watching this whole World Cup, him putting in a great, great, really accurate touch finder that pins France on their own 22 is commonplace. Yeah, that keeps happening. For sure. Incidentally, right, how come every single kick in this World Cup feels like it's from Dan Parker's highlights reel? <laughs> Every game on this, it's it's like watching Ronald Lagar in his prime in a supercut every time someone kicks the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's, you know, in this final, we've got Yashvili and Para, who are like two two of the best kicking scrum halves, granted one of them's not yeah. playing scrum half, uh, in the world. Mm. And then, you know, I mean, the thing is, Cruden's not really trusted to kick that much, is he? No. They've kind of left it to Whipu, Nonu and Dag, all of the kicking duties. Mm. But I think that they, on the whole, do a good job. Dag has a couple of stinkers. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dag has two in very quick succession. One in particular where he has he goes for a touch from a penalty and yeah. he misses by about fifteen yards well, he, and it just bounces into Palace's hands. Far side. Yeah. He does. He's really good for the sides near him. He goes. I don't know if he had the wind. Side, maybe goes to try and bounce. Like it looks like he's trying to bounce the ball further. Yeah, like a trick. Yeah, shot. I don't know if it's the wind or just his footedness. Yeah, and yeah, it just lands in Palace on hands. It's terrible. Very then strange. Moments later, he goes for an up and under and bet just scoops yeah. it straight up in the air. Yeah, that's yeah, very strange. But yeah, no. So Cruden's not really trusted. The game. But no, anyway. So I, I mentioned Power a minute ago. Um, mm. There's a point where he has to tackle Marnonu, and uh, mm. Richie McCaw accidentally knees him in the head as he's going to rock over, and it is an accident. Yeah. The Australian commentators are obviously saying, "Oh, that's deliberate. He should be sent off." That's similar, exactly Send the same as Quade get Cooper. Off. Get him off the field. They're saying it's exactly the same as when Quade Cooper needs Richie McCaw in the head, which was just very deliberate and should have been a red card. Richie McCaw's was accidental and unfortunate. Uh, but anyway, uh, Para has to go off for not an HIA. I think they pretended it was a blood sub for uh, Francois Tranduke. Um, it's worth saying right before Para takes that knee to the head, he also mm-hmm. takes two high tackles in a row. Yes. Like, yeah. one guy tries to high-tackle him, misses him. They, and I think it's Nonu then goes in and high-tackles him instead. They definitely target him. Fawn and Nonu. I can't remember which way around they are. They hit them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then he takes a knee to the head. Yeah. He's very, he very to be a fly half, and he took an arrow to yeah. the head. <laughs> which is 2011. That was relevant. That was, that's, a, that's a good uh, meme in 2011. That's a, a 2011 meme. Yeah. Uh, that's 11 minutes in. They're 2011 minutes in. Nice. Um, 
But I then have written down immediately after that, how are we only 13 minutes in? Yeah, so much happens, man. Like I know. This game is packed with just rugby. Like, it's great. There's so much of it. So, the All Blacks get a penalty off this, uh, probably mm. about 15 metres inside their own half. And somehow, Piruipu pumps the ball all the way down into the French 22 from the penalty. Yeah. It is an insane touch finder. It's a brilliant, very, and like, very I, Yeah. Periwipu had a pretty mixed bag of a game, I think it's safe to say. Yes. Um, but that kick was properly like one of the turning, one of the most important points of this entire match, right? Mm. Yeah, no, it's a huge because so Doucetois turns them over. They then the All Blacks then win a penalty back after mm. yeah, you know, that's huge turnover and bam, no, smash down somehow into the twenty-two. Welcome to your own twenty-two, mate. And yeah. so that I think the key thing here is it's so fast. Right, there is almost no time between Ripu taking the ball to kick it and the ball being thrown into the lineout. Yeah, like they get down into that half and set the lineout and throw they it travel in very in fast, pretty much yeah. record time. Yeah, so the All Blacks lift two pods at this lineout. Mm. They start with basically they've got three pods set. One of them at the front, you've got Tony Woodcock pretending he's going to lift up like Brad Thorne or somebody. They lift mm. White uh, Whitelock in the middle and then McCaw at the back and Woodcock wraps around does he not he does indeed and this opens up a huge gap Mm. right in the middle between the two pods they drop the ball straight back down and france were just watching for the line out just trying to set for a drive knowing what they're expecting especially because we had gone for that a few times in the knockout games yeah we saw they didn't do a lot in the pool stage but doing knockout games the orbits really looked them all uh and they looked to add that into their game and i wonder if part of that was as a a bluff yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a bluff. So the team's expecting to was. more. I think in it the was. Knockouts. Yeah. So they then had this move built up. And I don't know which one came first, you know? Sure. But I think that's definitely a consideration. They started, they didn't maul in the pool stage. They started mauling later on. Yeah. And then from there, boom. This this French pack would have wanted to maul against the All Blacks. This oh, is yeah, such a yeah. massive French pack that they'll have. William they'll have Servat, man. Them. Yeah. Servat's dream is right? to maul against the All Blacks. Yeah. That's exactly. what he dreams still at night he's retired his body is in bits he has just won the european cup as a coach he still every night wakes up at 3am wishing he was mauling against the all blacks absolutely so the ball goes to the back where richard mccaw catches it mm-hmm. and woodcock has run into this hole in the middle of the line out uh, mccaw pops it down to woodcock who goes straight through and scores the first try of the final and slides in slightly awkwardly because it's that thing when a prop not only scores, but scores in the literal World Cup final. And it's like, I need yeah. to not botch this. I need to just dive now. I don't care about taking this close to the post or anything. I need to secure these five points because points are such a rich currency in a final. I believe I'm right in saying it's the first time since 1987 that the first points in a World Cup final were from a try. Interesting. I didn't know that. I believe I'm right in saying that. Right. I mean, that's yeah, so uh, tries aren't necessarily rare in World Cup finals, but... Obviously, you've got to really graft for them, haven't you? So, I, I, I think they kind of are at this point, though. Mm. Um, I mean, the previous one at, was trialless. The 2007. previous one was trialless. One before that, one try apiece. Yeah. Uh, one before that was the one, the one blowout we've had in the World Cup final. Yeah. Uh, before that, trialless. Before that, one try apiece. Or two tries to one. Yeah. Uh, one try apiece. Uh, and then before that was the highest scoring World Cup final, which was three tries to one. Yeah, in yeah, that's before de- defense existed. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, so being Tony Woodcock scoring the opening try of the World Cup final, uh, the opening points of the World Cup final must have. Sorry, a... sorry, no, I'm I'm wrong. So it is the first time a World Cup final 
the first right. points of World Cup final was a try. Sorry, okay. no, there's a drop goal by Grant Fox in the first half. Okay, interesting. In the first World Cup. Uh, and scored by a loose head prop as well. So yeah. how could that be first any better? Only prop to score in a World Cup final. Yeah, uh, fair play. But yeah, no, it was a really, really well-crafted move by the All Blacks. They'd evidently done their, their research to know that gap was definitely going to open up. Yeah, it was it was a great move and very worthy of five points, which was only five because Piruipu missed the kick horribly. He'd also missed one much harder penalty before this. Uh, like yeah, really but badly. he misses it really bad, and the crowd sort of go, "Oh!" Like, they realise it's concern. It's not just like an unlucky thing. They realise yeah, it's concerning that, in the World Cup final. We skipped over that. That's a big moment, frankly. Yeah, it is. You feel if he'd got that, I think the All Blacks win this game in a very different fashion. Yeah, uh, him missing that. The whole crowd don't turn on him, but you can just feel There's the no concern, flashes before their eyes. Yeah. They kind of because he misses it so badly, you can tell there's nerve settling in, you know, yeah, in this all-backs sure. team. That generally I think actually in the first half they don't look nervous. No. They don't look in the, the panicky sense people seem to remember from them, because everyone was nervous and because the game was closer than we were expecting. Yeah. This game looks like actually they're just being matched by France yeah. rather than rather than the All Blacks are necessarily crumbling. Yeah. And it was actually stark watching it back of how... When I say how well the All Blacks are playing, I don't mean in the way they did against uh, Australia or the way they did against Argentina. Yeah. Where they had the two best performers in the tournament. But they are playing well. You know, yes. like they are they absolutely putting in as solid a performance as you can against a yeah. France team who are playing out of their skin. Yeah, absolutely. And like straight from the kickoff, the All Blacks are on the, on the attack again. And like they, they managed to work the ball wide to Dag and straight away you're thinking, oh my God, they're going to score again. Yeah. Granted... The re- there's a reason why they don't. And do you know what the reason is? Uh, is it Thierry Ducetois? Thierry Ducetois exists, mm. is the reason he why. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. I noticed he, this. He most certainly yeah. exists. Like, um, If you watch back this game, you'll probably notice by the 80th minute that Thierry Ducetois exists. It's amazing, because even Grant Nisbet noticed that. <laughs> that says a lot. There's, there's a great point where... So, Thierry Ducetois single-handedly mm. stops this all-back attack. Like He covers about three men and turns the ball over and wins a penalty. There's a great point where... Uh, I, I don't think it's on this one. I think it's one slightly later on where Richie McCaw is penalised for holding on because Thierry Ducetois yeah. jackals him. And he gives him a look of like, no, you're not allowed to do that. There's a look of pure disrespect looks, coming from he McCaw. He baffled, then angry. Yeah. There's, there's it's a, a hell of a emotional It's, it's a look segue. of pure disrespect of just like, I've I've heard of you. I think I might remember you from last time. Don't you dare do this again. And like it is, it is pure disrespect, but in the best way possible. It's the one Richie McCaw. Every time he's asked about oppositions he respects, Ducetois is the one guy that comes up. You yeah, know? he always regards him as the best player he ever played against. Isn't it a thing against. that basically he doesn't really remember any players from Northern Hemisphere other than Ducetois? He, he basically doesn't care about it. Yeah, like he remembers who David Pogok is. Yeah, um, he remember probably remembers George Smith. Uh, yeah. But every time you see him talk about opposition players or other players or just players in general, you know, they ask him about someone other yeah. than Dan Carter, is is this old like BFF? They always he always brings up Thierry Mike Ducetois. Delaney. He regarded yeah, absolutely Ducetois, Yes, um, he d- regarded Ducetois as the best player he ever played against. And again, like he played against Mike Ringi. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> he probably uh, did. He he played against Johan Dezel. Yeah, um, that's for I mean, what a player, Johan Dezel. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Johan Dezel scored one try against him, whereas uh, Ducetois scored two. So he's officially he's officially only half as good, percent as good as Ducetois. Yeah, better than every other player who never scored a try against the All Blacks when they were playing them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Connor Trainer scored two tries against the All Blacks. Connor so... Trainer, Connor Trainer's as good as Thierry Ducetois. Yeah, but he's that the only player that. who is. But obviously. he wasn't playing in that game against Richie McCall. 
No, so that's true. Didn't talk about him. That's very true. So, also, like, Dusatois didn't score one try in a college game after the World Cup final, did he? That's, so, that we know of. Not, no, that we know, that we know of. of. Yeah, there was no um, Jerry Collins Barnstable Gambit going on this time <laughs> round. Can um, we look up like Toulouse University? Yeah, and yeah. see if they just have London Welsh. Yeah, London Welsh. <laughs> he he in the championship for London Welsh. With his crush to try and impress him. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's a, so there's, a, there's a moment in the first half where they cut to a guy in the crowd who's got massive thick glasses on and a moustache, right? Mm-hmm. And I kept looking at him and going like, he look other than the massive glasses and the moustache, he, he's wearing it like a proper All Blacks jersey, like that season's All Blacks jersey with the World Cup logo on it and everything. I kept looking at him and thinking, he looks so much like Dan Carter. <laughs> Like I just thought, like as as Dan Carter used the fake the fake glasses and nose gambit to try and sneak back into the final, and he's just hoping that if Stephen Donner goes uninjured, they have to call on someone in the crowd. We accused Yashvili of that last time, so maybe he's mocking him. Exactly. I wonder if it's that. But I no, I imagine it's just like he's trying to go. He's brought his boots into his ear, yeah. and he's gonna run on. It's like, like, hi, I'm Can Data. Yeah, I'm Ruddy's brother. I play fly hard. Um, yes, <laughs> I can play fly hard. When Stephen Donner goes uninjured, and they turn to the crowd and shrug. It's good that you brought up uh, Ruddy Data, who is the epitome of like, all right, mate, go out and do it yourself. Then, if you if you think you're so good, uh, if you can criticize all of these top tier players, mm. you know. So yeah, I, I think it's it's fitting that you bring him up in, uh, and his brother is actually trying to do that. Yes, you know, like <laughs> that, um, that industry together. That that French prankster guy who's like, yeah, uh, yeah, who yeah. appeared on the Montpellier pitch. And like played a phase at Scrum Off for them or something. It was just yeah. some imposter. Yeah, maybe it's, it's like that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hope it is that guy. Can we? You know when when remember that guy ran around a supermarket at Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, um, and played yeah. Mario Kart in the streets. Oh, yeah, what a guy. Let's I'm, get him in the French. Team. Yeah, Remy Gaillard. That's his name. Remy Gaillard. There we are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was not playing for France in this match. That we know of. <laughs> that we know of, yes. He could have been Alexis Palisson. That's very true. That could be why Palisson pretty much dropped off a cliff a season later, because he had to go back to Maybe pranking. he's got something to do with the reason why um, Fufu Wadrago didn't get on. <laughs> maybe he was Fufu Wadrago. Yeah, maybe he kidnapped him, and then they realised in the, in the warm-up, like, oh, this, this new bootleg Wadrago is not playing very well. I mean, for all we're praising him, he is a man I've seen do blackface before. So, oh, of course. him doing a Drago yeah. does make you think. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's drop this. Let's drop let's, this. Let's drop this like he would drop the ball. Um, yes. So, so, not long after this, France are just constantly penalised. There's a point where Ma- Maxime Moz caught off his feet, and Wipu thinks, you know what, lads? Going to go for goal again. Get his 8 0 up. Except he again misses horribly. He doesn't, like, he doesn't get the main. He, he's, he's a good 10, 15, maybe even 20 metres away from the, the right hand post on this mm. point. And it's there's, not quite between the posts, but it's so gettable. There's a moment in the lead up to that where Marnon throws a dummy and straightens up that made me properly like, oh, yeah. thinking he's going to go through. Yeah. Again, it's a game where you feel like things could open up at any point and someone could make a break, but it's so tight. And so Nonu having that bit of space as he straightens up and him being mild bloody Nonu and able to potentially batter through. I, it's just such an exciting moment. You can't help but even though, you know, I've watched it multiple times and it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I know who wins and I know the score. I know, you know, how every point comes about. Yeah. I couldn't help but get caught up in yeah, so many yeah. small moments like yeah. that. 
There's moments that really, really excite you. There's there's a point I completely forgot about where Richard Kahui nutmegs Maxime Medar. Really? Yeah. I missed that. He goes for um like a grubber kick towards the try line for Richie McCaw to chase. Yeah. Oh, Rougerou grounds it. And yeah, he nutmegs Maxime, Maxime Medar in the process, which wow. is a fun thing to do in a World Cup final. You know, it's one yeah. of the bucket list, isn't it? I won a rookie <laughs> World Cup and I nutmeg their fullback in the process. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Right before that, right, there's a ruck that it looks like Dusua could have turned over and he steps off and leaves it. And I'm really curious as to what happened there. Yeah. What he was thinking, or what would have happened if he didn't step away from it. Yeah, but it looks like he consciously looks at it and thinks, no, I'm not going to turn that over. Yeah. When I was looking at it thinking, Thierry, you're going to turn that over. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, like he's turned over about 90% of the All Blacks regular ball <laughs> yeah. at this point already. So, you know, I fancy his chances. Also, here's a fun he stat. Just... <laughs> Thierry Dusatois made over one-fifth of France's tackles in this game. It's <laughs> about right. Yeah, that's but a genuine his... stat. By his standards, again... No, yeah, yeah, I believe you. By his standards against the All Blacks, that's pretty low. Yeah, <laughs> very true. He, very true. He's aiming for 50%. But He only made 14 tackles. And, like, he missed one in this game as well. He he, he made more than 14 tackles. It, I have it down as 14. I have it down as 23. Wow, okay. It came up on the official graphic with, like, five minutes to go uh, that he'd made 21. Right. Um, okay. And then he made two more after that, by my count. So, yeah, either way, he was very good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he, he made was. a lot of um, tackles and a lot of turnovers, but and he ran very well and rucked well and everything. In 2007, he made 38 tackles, didn't miss one. This time, he did miss one. Oh. And therefore, I <laughs> think... of the day material, that is. I think that he should be shot. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's the official stance of the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective on Thierry yes. <laughs> Um The... Guardian gave him 9.5 in their... their... <laughs> what the hell else was he meant to do? But I that's it. That they've never given a 10 before. Oh, okay. Um, and they said, has there ever been a better performance by a player on the losing side in any game? His hits could be heard from the noise above the crowd as he outfought McCaw. There is no higher tribute. Mm. <laughs> he would have got the extra 0.5 if not for the one bullet of sweat that went down his face on the yeah. 70th minute. That's it, he minute. sweats in this game. Yeah. He sweats in this game. They cut to him a few times and he's sweating. Yeah, and you go, which is a rare sight. Oh, they've France done it. Are crumbling. This is a, like, you know how tough this game is when Dusatoire is sweating in the second half yeah. after having made 50 tackles. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, Dusatoire is, is obviously everywhere. Yeah. There's a point where he gets a turnover and finds... Fra- oh yeah, Francois Randouk does a, a brilliant kick into the All Black 22. Yes. Corey Jane fields it and his foot crosses the line, the, the touchline that is, and Nigel Owens calls it. All of the All Black fans are fuming. They see it in slow-mo on the big screen. And see that his foot's in touch, but they continue to boo. No, because so he tiptoes along the touchline and he doesn't go over the touchline the first two times. Yeah. And then right before they cut away, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of them made their mind up, started booing. Then sure. saw evidence of the contrary and went, I've started now. Yeah, we've got to commit now, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm already booing. You know, we're that... already well into the ooh. Yeah. We, we haven't even got to the urns. We haven't even cheered for the <laughs> burns. <laughs> oh, man. If only he played in this final. It's amazing that that actually could have happened. <laughs> we could have had a World Cup like so many Burns people argue that Wales should have made that we final, were... so therefore so many people argue that Lloyd Burns should have played in the World Cup final. We were Lee Halfpenny hitting one kick, like a fraction, a fraction of a bit of force and power better, uh, you know, like a little bit higher on the little red bar on a on a rugby game, away from Lloyd Burns playing in a World Cup final, then going back to being a bricklayer a year later. <laughs> It's amazing that uh, on the Rugby World Cup final episode of this podcast, we've mentioned Lloyd Burns. That's we are going to talk around. about Lloyd Burns for a further three minutes. Okay. 
uh, he's Ruben was a bricklayer 18 months ago. Let's cut this and... short from three minutes to three seconds. There we are, done. Okay. okay. So, so France have a, a line-out in the All Blacks 22, but they knock it on. That's the first time France get into the All Blacks 22 in the entire game. Wow, okay. That's the first time they get into the 22. Right. It's about 20, 23 minutes in. So not long after this, Aaron Cruden has a bit of a run at the line. And he yep. goes down injured. He hyperextends his knee. It's awful to look at. For some reason, they, they, they keep re-showing it. Okay. And it looks horrible. Like, I don't know why anyone wants to see that twice. But there's a point where... So Stephen Donald, who had been previously called up from white baiting in the Waikato River, he, he warms up to come onto the pitch. And Aaron Cruden basically stands up and goes, yeah, man, I'm going to play on. Uh, <laughs> even though he was in agony. And then he goes, and yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll play on. And then literally he, he begins to like ever so slightly swivel his hips and realises his knee is absolutely like fucked. Yeah. And then he just goes down and, like, ah! and he's in agony again. There is only really one time that we see Spider-Cam in this game. Mm. There's two actually There's a replay of the second try, which we'll get to. Yeah. And then for Cruden's injury. And they have the camera positioned directly above him. So you can see both the doctors working on his knee and his face as it's happening. And poor guy hurts. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can you can feel it on his face. And you can see that his knee is not where it should be. It's on his elbow. And doctors say that knee should be in the little middle bit of your leg. Yeah, yeah. That's knees I, I spoke to a doctor. Bro. I yeah, that was exactly what he said. Thank yeah. you for it was P Money was the doctor. Yes. Um, <laughs> so what he's doing now his rap career's gone down the drain, you know, he's done what his parents wanted to do and he's become yeah. a doctor. He tried um, doing the Aaron Cruden friendly track, but Yeah. Um it didn't didn't really go very well. No. Um It's because, so because now, he mentioned Beaver and Pirawipu in it and just, you know. Now he, he gives out great advice such as knees be knees, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey You got one of those elbows? Sick ass bro. Thank you, P Money, for coming back on the podcast. Oh uh, no, no worries, bro. <laughs> and your voice breaking midway through. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's good to be back, man. Uh, do you want to hear my new song? Yeah, man, please. Uh, it's called All, All Black Somethings. Okay, go um, on. And Stop I'm just going to give you a, a wee little. Uh, wee li- I'm Scottish now. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to give you a very, very. Little... Are you Sean Maitland? I'm gonna. I'm going to give you a very little burst of it, bro. Uh, but sorry, thank you for ruining my punchline. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be going to be a tribute to John Hardy and Sean Mainland um, and the, the All Black Somethings, Somethings careers. Um, I hope Grace congratulations and Congratulations to, to, to Grace and Hart, the inventor of Marxism, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, cheers, bro. Uh, we'll John see Hardy, you next the time. Of cocaine. <laughs> Is that a fact? Yeah, yeah, Lawrence Delalio loves him. He wait a minute. He's he's Amy Cocaine, England women's yeah, yeah, dad. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Can he play ten as well? Sure. Okay, right. Anyway, fuck off, P Money. <laughs> Cheers, bro. Knees be knees, bro. Peace and love. <laughs> you Ringo Star now. <laughs> he is Ringo Star. He is he is Doctor Ringo Star. P Money. <laughs> Instead of PhD, it's P Money. Yeah, uh, that was a really bad joke. Anyway, Stephen Donald comes on in the World Stephen Cup final. Donald comes on his first World Cup match. There is some and booze last. in the crowd. I know, I love that. It's so hostile. And like they, they absolutely hate. What do you want? Fruits. Like, what do you want? He's your fourth fly half. He says this is his twenty third cap. You, what? What could you possibly want more than this? Yeah. So in the previous mm. episodes, we sort of floated the question 
of uh, who would have been uh, the next sort of reserve fly half for New Zealand. Yes. And somebody got in touch and said, basically, it was Mike Delaney, Stephen Brett, and Matt Berquist were kind of like the four ITM so, Cup players at the time. Yeah. I, sorry, um, I, so I was sent a few. I was sent a couple. One in a Twitter thread. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find that looking back. Uh, another from Pat Paranoid Adnoid. Solid joke. Shocked and appalled uh, on Twitter who sent me a list of the likely fly halves who could have replaced Stephen Donald had mm-hmm. he gone uninjured. So Stephen Brett, capped by New Zealand in the 20s and the Mary All Blacks, never an All Black, but not far off. Luke McAllister, okay. uh, who had just signed for a French club, so ineligible, but he wasn't joining until after the World Cup. Okay, similar so to Stephen Donald then, because he just yeah, the so they, Yeah, they, they could have brought him in, possibly, but he was ineligible. Lockie Munro, uh, he just writes, ha-ha, no. Mike Delaney, who obviously got the one All Black cap in 2009, who is probably next in line, I reckon, uh, having had a few looks over this. We have Daniel Kirkpatrick, uh, who had played New Zealand under-19s and under-20s, and he's the poor puts. I remember him being promising, but sort of disappeared. Uh, Matt Berquist. Treviso fame. So, who then went on to play most of his career at Treviso. Yep. And then Tyler Blaindahl, who was in the Crusader squad, but said didn't take the field, so no chance. New Zealand under-20s the previous year, though. Tyler Blaindell obviously went on to play most of his career at Munster, tried to qualify for Ireland, is now coaching Munster. Oh, no, he's gone back to coach Crusades, hasn't he? He's gone back to coach New Zealand. The other contenders they've got are Robbie Robinson, uh, who obviously spent most of his time as a fullback, but could have possibly played there. Uh, Lima Sopwanger, who was playing his first season of pro rugby, age 20. Wow. And then you also had Gareth Anscombe, who was the 20s fly half that year, had played, but... Um, but but hadn't played Super Rugby up until that point. So yeah, sent me a full list of players who played Super Rugby at fly half that season and mm, were not yet So they did have some options, but they weren't particularly expansive. Sure. And Mike Delaney and his one cap against Italy was probably going to be the next yeah, line. Yeah, hell of a drop from Dan Carter, safe to say. <laughs> yes. They're, 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 it's a long way down. But Stephen Donald is on. And to be fair, he gets stuck in when he comes on. You know, he, he, he makes like two or three tackles in a row and sort of goes, look, you, I know that there are question marks over me, but like, don't test me defensively because I'm going to do fine. Uh, and obviously, he's a big unit, Stephen Donald, for a fly yeah. half. So d- defensively, he's, he's actually pretty good. Obviously, he, he does have a mixed bag when he comes on. There's a couple of things he we'll does that are mistakes. But, go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, defensively, I, I don't think he's an issue for the All Blacks. No, no, absolutely not defensively. Um, I think he's more certainly more so than Cruden as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, who was not particularly big at this point. You know, he filled out a bit as he went yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Francois Strandruc misses a drop goal just after this. And it's actually very well struck. They they set for it really nicely. Yeah. Piri we- so he drops into the pocket. France play one more phase, then go back to him. Piri Wipu only notices they're setting for the drop goal and starts calling for everyone to watch him, like, right as he's going for it. Right. And it had been very obviously dropped into the pocket the phase before. Yeah, yeah, sure. But alas, yeah, he strikes it really well. Um, doesn't quite get it cleanly enough. It goes just wide. It does look like it's going over. Yeah, which is it's, something it's really good strike, again. isn't it? Yeah, mm. and you know that and really good option. Really good option. Could have been a turning right point for one time. You know, thirty odd minutes on. The yeah, clock. Uh, it's currently five nil. Yeah, and after that comes one of my favourite moments of this match, which we regularly reference, which is after yes. the uh, twenty-two dropout and you didn't clear it to Tranduke again. He's covering at fullback. And he completely burns Richard Kahu for pace on the outside, which is iconic in itself. And then he throws the most glorious dummy you'll ever see and steps it's Jerome outrageous. It, it is yeah. unreal. It's maybe the best dummy of the World Cup. I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And, and steps inside uh, Jerome Kano. And Jerome Kano, like, very solid defender, very quick man, very difficult to get around. 
and Trunduk makes a good sort of 40 yards on this run and gets just up to the All Black 22. Now, Jerome Kaino, if you watch him closely, he's not a man that reacts very often. He normally just gets on to the job at hand, right? But here, you can see his eyebrows go up and then a look of determination and anger set in on his face as Trunduk goes past him. Yeah. You can see him sort of be surprised and then determined to catch him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it is the thing, like, you remember the clip of Shane Williams stepping back his Borta and then Borta just thinking, mm. like, I'm not having that, mate. And then coming back and nailing him, like, on on his way past. Yeah. It was that kind of thing from Kano. And eventually the All Blacks yeah. do catch him, uh, catch Tranduke, uh, who shows an unreal turn of pace here. Uh, it's Whippu who actually makes the tackle. He does a, a diving tap tackle to stop Tronduk. And it is a tri-saver properly at that point yeah. because you feel like Tronduk is going over. Uh, he shows an insane amount of pace. It is. It's 60-odd metres each. So, no, he's up eats at 45-ish. Yeah. Um, on the angle, you know. Yeah, yeah. He runs very far. So th- there's a massive stink when he comes on full-time after Power goes back off. Yes. Because um, Power comes back on for about five minutes then, really can't hack it, can't stand up. Um, so he goes back off. Tron yeah. Duke comes back on. And he has this real stink of, I'm a fly half. This is why it's useful to have one of yeah. us in your team. Uh, I'm going to try a drop goal. I'm going to kick for the corners. I'm going to try and organise the back line. And I'm going to throw an outrageous dummy and make a 60 metres. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's a great moment for all game managers uh, <laughs> who have yes. gone out of this World Cup. Uh, when he just has shows, is an absolute masterclass for the first 10 minutes he, when he comes on. He throws, he throws that dummy and says to Kaino, that was for Andrew Monroe. Yes, yes. Oh man, if only he played in this final. I'm gutted. But uh, then France just kind of shit the bed a bit after this. And I feel like they really should have scored in the last five minutes of that half. They There's a point where Vance Montclair puts a kick out on the full and it's so poor. At that point, yeah. they're just backpedalling and you, and you feel like they can create something. And I get that in the Wales game, we praised them for the fact that all of their backs were kicking really, really well. But mm. at this point, I, I just feel like they lacked patience completely. But it, it's interesting. There's a moment earlier on in the half, about 50 minutes in, where um, a Moz does like quite a small little stab through and they make about 10 mm. metres off it, but it's yeah. ball. Yeah. And that felt like a win at the time. Sure. Because it felt like they found some space and they slowed the game down. And yeah. They kind of, you know, pinned the Probably wasn't enough on the kick, was there? put some pressure on. There wasn't enough on the kick at that point, but it felt like... And he easily could have hit it another 10 yards because there was the space to do so. Yeah. But he just hit it, and that still felt like a bit of a win because of how tight the margins in this game were. Yeah. As I said, towards the end of that first half, those kicks like to become start to become slightly worse, mm. and things start to open up a bit more, yeah. and suddenly they're not wins anymore. No. And 5% has dropped off the kind of kicks Mamos was doing. Absolutely. And they're suddenly... Because five percent is enormous in a game this tight. France are really, really poor in the last five minutes of the, that half. Um, they do they, well to come they out. They play well throughout the rest of the game, but that was a really, really poor sort of period of five, seven minutes. It's a, if you're France, looking at that, in a way, nil nil is a stalemate. You know, sure. like it's they were playing badly, but it was probably their best period of possession mm. and territory since the first five minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just they they wasted a couple of balls, which is quite frustrating to yeah. look back on, you know. But they go in five nil down. Trying to kiss one out in the full yeah, as well. Yeah, you know. Yeah, goes in, goes in five nil. And you know we kind of breathe for the first time yeah. in forty minutes. Um, there's another moment just quickly when Piri Wipu misses that penalty towards the end of the mm. first half. Uh, Grant Fox says on commentary, uh, "When you rotate that quickly to the left, you always swipe it." What's that mean? 
I don't know. I don't, it sounds like he's, he's describing Piriupu like he's a rotisserie chicken. Like, <laughs> I think rotisserie when, chicken was where he spent all his money at London Welsh. <laughs> that was it. That was where he was going, where he was taking Diego Dusatoire out. Yeah. Yeah, so when you rotate that quickly to the left, you always swipe it. Okay, sure. I mean, I have no idea what that means, but... No, but uh, thank you. Yeah, um, cheers, Grant. But it, I, I figure it just means he turns his hips in a weird manner. Something like that. But I don't know the first thing about goal kicking, so... So yeah, also Richie McCaw gets penalised at the end of the first half, which is really yeah. exciting and really, really fun. Well, it's funny you should say that. So uh, as they come up for the second half, the Australian commentators say, mm. uh, we've had a top-tier referee text us at half-time saying that wow. uh, McCaw is getting away with murder and basically implying that Craig Joubert is not having a very good game. And that was Steve Walsh, wasn't it? Of course it was. Of course it would be Steve Walsh. Yeah. But like, no, that was Steve definitely Walsh not... Steve Walsh. Steve Walsh would let someone get away with murder. Yeah. But Steve Walsh clearly like is the sort of referee well, who will go to a pub and critique the referee. Is like, by the way, did you know I'm actually a top tier referee and businessman? But who would? No, it would be a referee who probably refereed them when they were playing. Mm, yeah, maybe, maybe. Or someone I guess they've done punditry with. But yeah, I don't think it'd be Steve Walsh. Um, but they Steve Walsh is also a Kiwi. So oh, that's true. Actually, yeah, you know. I don't, and, no, and maybe like, it's not why Steve, Steve Walsh. Why would Steve Walsh say be harsher at the breakdown? Yeah, no. Maybe it wasn't Steve Walsh. But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting point. My my mm. immediate thought was Steve Walsh, but... You say uh, ran out for the second half. Yes. Do you want to know what happened to me at the end of the first half? What? You... I mean, I mentioned I tried to put my yeah, phone yeah. though. But uh, I left it to autoplay to move on to the second half. Because there were separate videos, first and second yes. half. Yes. Uh, I was watching them on Daily Motion. Sponsored by and Daily Motion. Instead... And rotisserie chicken. And instead, a Spanish soap opera started playing. <laughs> how did, how thought, did this is, McCaw play in this that? This is, yeah, quite a, quite a shift in tone for Richie McCaw. Like, Ducetois, still spellbinding in it. Still, still an excellent and very physical performance. Any you know, spoilers from the Spanish comedy. soap opera? I watched about a minute. So there was a princess in it who got saved. Mm-hmm. And there was like a princess crying. Uh, in like a like a big bedroom. Okay, uh, was like the the bit I managed to watch. <laughs> it's a way to break you down from that breathless first half, isn't it? That should have yeah, been a half-hour entertainment and analysis. To be fair, <laughs> he should have brought that out. <laughs> See how it went. Yeah. So then I eventually did look around and find the second half, mm-hmm. and it turns out there were significantly fewer crying Spanish women in the second oh, half. That's a shame. Um, there was eventually one crying French woman. I love to do crying we'll get Spanish that. women. What? Um, Let's leave that in. Um, yes. So, we have a second half that begins, and Piriwipu kicks off, and things start to get a little bit wobbly for the All Blacks. Yeah. I think it is Richie McCall gets penalised, yeah. and everyone panics and goes, is that allowed? Is that yeah. allowed to Tranduk does more mad shit, does a, a loop followed by a switch, like in the same movement, yes. which is brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a great start for, for France. Yashvili steps up and takes a penalty, which he's deliberately not been doing because of his uh, injury to his left foot, which is, happens mm. to be the one he hicks off. But he he takes it and he narrowly misses. And that's actually a good strike. It, you look at that one that, and think, okay, he's going to get one at some point. But looked like it was over. It did. I, I think more so than the James Hook one on first viewing, mm. the famous James Hook one from the South Africa game. I then went back and watched it back and know it does no. play ever so slightly yeah, wide. Yeah. Uh, it's just the it's, angle you're watching it at from. Yeah. It looks like it goes he does, he does miss it narrowly, but it's a really good it's strike. Really it's a lot better than really, anything really Whippu's close. been pulling up. And I think that probably yeah. does ring alarm bells for the All Blacks a little bit, that like their discipline has to be so much better than France's does. So, should we talk about Dimitri Ashville? Yeah. 
Happily. I'd love to. Yeah. So, Yashvili, his first two real involvements in the game are both mistakes, right? Yeah. So he puts a kick out on the full, and then he throws a horrible pass to Maxi yeah. Mado, uh, who stood in the pocket to clear, and he, he hits it really, really badly. Yeah. Uh, and Maydar's left to panic, and he makes quite a good run out of it. Yeah. But from that moment onwards, Shithouse Mode engages. Yeah. And he is brilliant, and he is so petulant and annoying that he clearly channels all this frustration through himself and tries to unleash it and unload it onto all of the All Blacks. For sure. It's one of the most annoying performers you'll ever see from anyone. I thought he was brilliant. The, the, the You know, dickhead because kicking is such a rare yes. breed of rugby player. And, you know, we've, we've spoken about, uh, particularly I've spoken about my love for mm. Emil Geisin, my favourite player in all of existence. There's a real a real um, air of that. Uh, basically, I think that he is probably doing Chigashvili's role model but despite the fact that he this World Cup is before Romeo Geisen maybe even played rugby <laughs> but anyway yeah there's a no just a few Yashvili moments yes. while we're here like, there's, there's lots of kicking and lots of him just sliding it down into awkward position for the All Blacks mm-hmm. or pinning them back but there's one that I really really enjoyed where the ball bounced off the All Blacks into touch and it's quite a contentious, like, whose line out would it be? You know, it's going to France. Yeah. And Yashvili runs in, takes the ball, and throws it straight into Richie McCaw's back, and then starts complaining. Oh, to I love that. Touch judge. I love that. Yeah. And Crazy Bear says that you don't get a free kick for throwing the ball low brilliantly at him. But he... <laughs> it's fuming. I love it. That he starts complaining to the referee before it's even hit McCaw. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, as he's motioning to pass the ball, he, he's yeah. already throwing his arms in the air, like, Sir, what's he doing there? Come on. I loved it. That's it's a proper just good an moment. Absolutely classic, classic Yashvili moment. Yeah. And there's so many of them just dropped throughout the game. Yeah. There's another of him at a uh, France get given the put into a scrum. Uh, and he starts complaining to the referee he wanted to play on. There's another where he, uh, after the All Blacks are given the penalty, walks over to the referee, shakes his head, and then walks off. <laughs> I, I feel like <laughs> it was often when he was like, putting ball into scrums or even Whippy was putting ball into scrums I feel yeah. like he was always looking for something to complain about before the scrum was even set yeah 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 absolutely. he was he was fuming at Craig Joubert before the game even started he just hated people yeah he's you he's know, a proper he just... one of a kind Yashvili and just as well yeah yeah. you don't want a world full of Dimitri Yashvili oh Christ that would be difficult to live in wouldn't it one more just like a classic Yashvili moment as well of just like there's another bit where he like he shoves Kieran Reed in the shoulder as he's trying to get to the ball after the giveaway pen- the giveaway penalty, and then we sort of see Reed walking away, and he kind of like it looks like he checks his pockets, like Yashvili's just stolen his mouth guard. Because <laughs> Reed kind of does that thing, where he starts like tapping himself, I like he feels lighter. Yeah, and it looks like he does that. You know, like you see in con man movies, he puts one hand on his shoulders. So you don't notice him putting one hand in his pocket. And I could just imagine Kieran Reid then playing the last 10 minutes without a mouth guard. What I reckon happened was um, Yashvili put Kieran Reid's phone in his pocket. And so you think, like, yes. why, why have I got this? Why is this not back in the changing rooms? You know, uh, I reckon it's like <laughs> reverse pit potting. He, he gave him Freddie Burns' kicking team. Yes! <laughs> we finally know where it went. <laughs> I, I, I like to think that's that's what happened. So, sorry, yes, let's, let's move on. I've, I've exhausted my Yashvili yeah. chat. I oh, oh I'm now. always here for it. I'm always I just have, I have one further note. Shit, I don't it? know what prompted it. Go on. It just says, Yashvili is such a little shit. I love him. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. What a, what a good moment to end that segment on. 
that's a, a nice sentiment there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But France give away a penalty 30 metres out from their own trial line in between the posts. And what what should the All Blacks do but say, hey, Piri, fancy a go at this? And then everyone else goes, no, don't let that happen. And then up steps Beaver. The Kiwi commentary really highlights Stephen Donald walking towards us confidently. And they keep saying, he looks confident, he looks ready, he wants to take this, he's very, very ready. He's, he's going to strike this superb. Well. I've never felt such nervousness and intrigue and talk about a penalty between the post yeah. 35 metres out before. Yeah, and like so little trust that the, the best team in the world have somebody on the pitch, just anybody mm. who could maybe convert that, or come close at least. Because let's not lie, it's an easy penalty. Very, For, you know. Obviously, like, I wouldn't slot it, but I'm not an all black. Okay, like obviously, I'm not saying I wouldn't have walked up final. I have kicked that penalty from that kind of position before. Like, right? It's it's a it's a kick that you'd expect any professional kicker to nail. Certainly, international yeah. kicker, and most definitely to the stage where you're playing in a World Cup final. We've seen Thierry do to a kick goal. You know, he could do that. Sure. Yeah. You know, like I, I you would back pretty much anyone on that pitch. Maybe other than front rows at this point. And Piriwipu, yeah. To kick that guy. <laughs> Piri- and Piriwipu. And yet there's such tension around it. Yeah, yeah. And up steps, you know, an international fly half to take it. So Stephen Donald mm. go, go through his uh, his kick routine and strikes the ball in a really strange manner. He clearly wasn't doing the whole weird hip turn shanky thing that Grant Fox yes. was on about. But he does it a little bit better than Wipu because somehow that ball allegedly goes through the posts. I believe that it does, but yeah. it doesn't look like it from the angle they show on TV, does it? Yashvili striked his a minute earlier so much better. Yeah, yeah. And he missed it. Yeah. Which just goes to show that, you know, Deserve's got nothing to do with it. Yeah. But, but it, it, it does go through. It, it does, does go, go through. through. Yeah, yeah it somehow. It looks like it's going wide. It's kind of... One of those where the ball wobbles and fades a bit, but it happens to wobble and fade just as hitting the post and goes inside yeah, yeah. and then fades back out. I, I have no idea how that kick does go through the post, but it does somehow. Yeah. Like, as it leaves his boot, you think no part of you think that kick is going to be successful. You think, oh my God, he shanked no. it. And somehow it goes through and sends the All Black 8-0 up in the World Cup final. It's that, it's that kind of thing of, like the American pundit was saying at the start, it's a team of destiny. Mm. And Stephen Donald did his best to ruin that. And just like, like God had to reach down and go, no, come on, Stephen. And like, yeah. nudge it ever so slightly. This is the final, Stephen. Like, we've, we've, we've talked about this, Stephen. Yeah. You're not white baiting now. And keep, keep the fishing. I mean, out. if any, you know, it's a pretty good story. So I should make a film about it. Well, this was it. Like, somehow, meanwhile, 
somewhere in Auckland, you've got a room of TV and film producers sitting watching this game, presumably all wearing baseball hats and sunglasses. Yeah, or, or maybe Power Rangers them, morph suits. One of them turns the next one and goes, I've got a pretty good idea. Yeah. And get the guy from Power Rangers on the phone. Who knows? Someday we might talk about that in depth. We'll see. But we'll leave that as a cliffhanger on the final. So after that, Damien Try comes on for Vance on Claire, which is a shame yeah. that Claire has to go off. Because he'd been playing well. Obviously, there was that uh, criticising for that kick out on the fall earlier. But generally, he was running very well. Mm. And he's the sort of player who can finish tries from anywhere, but he's also very sensible. So yes. him going off is obviously a big loss. So Maxime Medar moves the wing and Try moves the fullback. Yes. And France, we gather the kickoff. And I have one last point to make about Dimitri Ashvili. Yeah. He would have hated the five-second ruck rule. Oh, yeah. Of course he would. Because if there it was are 50 seconds, he'd hated it. Yeah, where he just luxuriates. He he lies down, gets out his sunglasses so he can be one of those TV producers in Auckland and just has a good time. <laughs> and I genuinely, looking at this, don't think it harms the game. No, that's it. Because I don't mind it being one long ruck rather than the team being forced to play mm. three phases doing nothing. So there's a point where Craig Joubert calls Yashvili over and basically says like, mate, I don't appreciate you time-wasting here. You know, you need to use the ball a bit quicker. And it's like, no, he's not time-wasting. That's just the speed Yashvili got. That's his top speed. That's just that yeah. the way he plays. Like, he's why would he be time-wasting? There ain't nil down. Like, no, what, no, of course he's time-wasting. It's Dimitri Yashvili. But it's it's not for the reasons Joubert's accusing yeah. him of, you know? No, yeah. Uh, it's just like, no, 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 that's just the speed he plays at. Like, have you not seen him play before? <laughs> yeah, so they eventually do kick the ball, clear it, get into the All Blacks half. And... Well, so New Zealand have a weird moment. Yeah. I don't know if it's because they've gone 8-0 up and they've got a bit of confidence and they start doing the kind of things they do in autumn internationals where they then just pull away against Scotland or Wales. But that's kind of where their brains are at. And they've thrown a few little passes in a row. They've got caught in their own half and already on Rougerie goes into a ruck and manages to make a real mess of it yeah. and knock the ball away from Mononu's feet. And uh, you say the All Blacks have a weird moment. Specifically... Piriwipu has a weird moment and he yes. decides to, and we've seen scrum halves do this successfully before mm. and it worked, but they pick their moments. So Piriwipu sees that the ball is on the floor and instead of scooping it up or diving on it, he thinks, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass this ball to the next person via my foot. So I'm going to kick the ball up as like a kick flick up to mm. the man stood next to him. I'm not sure who it was, maybe Kahui. Comrade Smith. Comrade Smith. It might be Kahui. It might be Kahui. Someone like that. And... He just fails to acknowledge that Francois Tranduc is perfectly stood in between those two players. And he, he's well, quite, he's not quite. Not quite. He, he, no, he perfectly runs onto the ball. He stood in perfect position yeah. to intercept that pass, which is exactly what he does. So mm. Whippu goes for that, that kick flick up pass type thing. And I mean, it's ridiculous anticipation from Tranduc. It's unreal. To it's that. unreal to think, oh yeah, Piru Whippu, who has been, you know, having a mixed bag of a game, is going to try this speculative thing and he's going to get a good enough kick on it that it's going to go perfectly into my midriff. Like, <laughs> Tranduc managed to predict that perfectly and then sprint most of the way to the try line. And he out. He, he gets outpaces, up to about the 22. Yeah, he outpaces most of the 22 meter line. Yes. Yeah. And then flings the ball so, over his head to Yashvili. Yeah, who then loses footing from under him. Yashvili would have. Uh, you figure that's like, he's either scoring or he's being stopped on mm. the try line. Yeah. yeah. You know? But he loses his footing, regathering the ball, and falls over on the 22. It's quite smart the way that he goes about this, actually, because he then mm. sort of lets the whole Blacks 
defence kind of overtake him and think, let's turn this into an overlap rather than a line break opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he thinks about it very tactically. Rougerie has a great carry up the middle. Mm. I think I think maybe Aaron Nordicke has had a bit of an offload as well. But Rougerie batters into the All Blacks defence and gets France up to five metres of their try line. They work it in field a bit. Mm. Then they go wide because they have a bit of an overlap. But unfortunately, in the 13 channel is William Servat, yeah. who kind of panics for a moment. Then by the time he's thinking about and able, got his hands in such a place he can make the pass... He's no longer on. You know, the he has a look of regret as soon as he goes, like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get criticised. We're going to get turned over. I should have passed that ball. So he smashes it up, takes it in, and France kind of want... They're still on the line. They're still really, really close. But you wonder, they've just blown two clean-cut opportunities. Is that it? Yeah. Thierry Doucetois, however, is still on the field. Yeah, he still exists. So France worked back to the midfield. I think it's is it Aurelia Rougerie gives the last pass and they caught so they yeah they try and do cause it out mm, right away yeah right from that phase and they yeah throw it right into Rougerie who waits 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 until Dusatois runs a superb tip yeah, online line in between the two yeah I have watching this back I have absolutely no idea what Israel Dag is doing he's Dag, kind of stood on the outside right so he's the guy. So obviously someone comes in on, on Rougerie yeah. to make that tackle, right? And he waits until that guy's decided he's on... Rougerie waits until the guy's decided he's on him mm-hmm. rather than committing or being able to drift between him and Doucetois. Doucetois then goes right through. Dag has not pushed up and joined the line. Mm. Dag is kind of behind, basically in the fullback channel. Yeah. Then whoever's outside him is marking on his position yeah. instead. So there's no cohesive line at all. Yeah. And it allows Doucetois to go really cleanly. Yeah. He's basically running straight at the post, but instead of doing a Haskell, he grounds the ball on the far side yeah, of it. Because Dag manages to slightly clip his ankles a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. And Dusatois manages to sort of like slide onto his knees and ground the ball one-handed. It looks like quite mm. an unnatural finish, but obviously it's exactly what he needed to do. And yeah. then, yeah, so he scores, it goes to, to 8-5. It's now such an iconic finish as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's... I guess the second best remembered try Dusatois ever scored against the All Blacks. Uh, maybe should be the first. Yeah, and then uh, it's Tran Duke actually converts the try. He takes it back to the 22 for some it's, reason. He ta- he, for it's some a reason. weirdly tense conversion to yeah. say it's literally in line with the post. Yeah, and for some reason he takes it back really far. Mm. But, you know, he converts it. It goes up to 8-7, so they're fine. But, you know, if you're an All Black, you think, no worries, uh, we're still a point up. And now what we're going to do yeah. is we're going to uh, we've got the kickoff, so we're going to boot it into the French half, right? And tackle them, tackle them somewhere down there, right? Yeah, it's just a good idea. Yeah, just a, just a good. Or alternatively, good we could have Pirouipu take the kickoff. Idea, and that does not go particularly well for the All Blacks. This is, as I said, there's a period in that second half where the All Blacks look properly rattled for the first time. Yeah, they look shit for about five minutes. A lot of the narrative around this World Cup, especially this final, was that the All Blacks were rattled and mm. didn't quite know what they were doing. Yeah. And they let a French team who were, as you said, the worst team to ever play in the World Cup final into this game. Yeah. I think actually they were very competent for the first yes, 45 minutes. I agree with you. They then pretty much fall apart for about five, ten minutes. Yeah. As you say, so Ripu in particular puts that kick out on the full. Directly um, after the try. And directly yeah. after he had set up that run for Tranduke. Like, Whippu has... The All Blacks fans are after his head at this point. And as soon as he puts the kick out, Graham Henry just shepherds crooks him. And he's like, yeah, you're so... off, mate. Uh, and Andy Ellis comes on in his place. 
Yeah, so they the scrum takes quite a while to set. There's like a one of those long sort of water breaks because the as I said the ball and play time has been so high. Yeah, they go longer than usual stoppage there, and in that time, that's long enough for Graham Henry to get the message down and say, "Piri, no, yeah, no." Head to the bench. We've got a monster munch waiting for you. You can eat it there. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it probably feels like the All Blacks are about to shit the bed at this point, doesn't it? As France gets scrum mm. on halfway. And the French scrum, they weren't dominating yet by this point, but they they were looking fairly comfortable in the scrum. Uh, the further the game goes on, the more and more France are on top in the scrum. Yeah. Because the All Blacks get a couple of technical penalties in the first half yeah. for them. But the moment scrum starts to be completed France tires, and the stays man. in, yeah, but France become on top. And for whatever reason, the All Blacks decided to leave both their props on for 80 minutes. Yeah, that's that's a really Whereas interesting call. Parcella comes on around 50 minutes and actually makes a difference, you know, and kind of sharpens them up. I mean, I thought it was a really weird point because Lievremont brought on Barcella and Sarzeski both just after their props had won a penalty and dominated and marched them back 10 yards. And that was the one where Franzo Tranduk takes the penalty from like 50-odd metres out and is yeah. short. But... Yeah, straight after that scrum where they absolutely dominated them. For some reason, they, they sub both their front rowers, and I don't get it. Well, it doesn't feel like Razzie doing it in the 2019 final. No. Where it was a statement, you know? Yeah, it's like just um, as they're starting to properly dominate them, they no, change but I, I wondered if it was... I think partly just Mark Leifert being a weird man. But yeah. there's a part of it you can see it's for continuity, it's for making sure they don't tire themselves, they don't get to the point. But I said the All Blacks leave their props on for 80 mm. minutes, you know? Yeah. So but there we are. Yeah, and Servat was the kind of player by this point. It was right before he retired. This was the last game for France. Of course, yeah. He did begin to tire. Yeah, of you can see that in a few Naturally. games in the pool stage yeah. where he looked tired in the last twenty minutes. So from the back of this scrum, France kick into the All Blacks twenty-two, and Dusatois looks like he's about to win the match winning turnover, doesn't he? Like he he basically dag slips mm. over inside his own twenty-two, and Dusatois just gets a completely clear path to the ball, and Ali Williams. Honestly, that's maybe the best clear out of the whole World Cup. Or the most important, certainly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Doucetois is properly clamped over the ball, and you're thinking, this is the match-winning turnover he's about to get here. He's about to win his side of penalty. And Dag holds onto the ball the for Cup. just about the amount of time that's legal as Ali Williams manages mm-hmm. to clear out Doucetois. And it's technically superb. Williams's work rate is incredible. Yeah, he, he makes he's a just real impact. He's been on the pitch a few minutes. Yeah, he comes on for Brad Thorne, doesn't he? No, for, for uh, Whitelock. Okay, yeah. Uh, but his his work rate is, is insane. And there's a few like that where he hits rucks super, super hard and technically really, really well. I just have written down in my notes, uh, Jesus, do is everywhere. Allez, les bleus. Probably because that's what the crowd were chanting at that point. And then just All Blacks are not enjoying this. Do runs hard. No. But it then starts to turn a bit. I think that is... The All Blacks clear that quite comfortably. Mm. They get up. The, France eventually knock the ball on. Yeah. And from there, the All Blacks start to go, no, actually, we've got this. Yeah. You know? And things change. And suddenly there's a period of five minutes where the All Blacks keep holding the ball from their own half. They make it up to the French 22 mm. and they really look on top. Like, Stephen Donald makes a break and, phew, I mean, there's no subtlety about it at all. He just kind of puts his head down and goes. Yeah. And he somehow manages the power through in a way tens rarely do. Yeah. Like, it is it is like Andy Munro. You know, he is... Very like much. a tribute act every ten, to Andy Munro. Every 10 in this World Cup is trying to emulate Andy Munro. Or Emil Geissen. Titanium One or the other. Yeah. Sure, but mostly Andy Munro. The Titanium 10 himself. And it's just, it's like sheer determination rather than speed or balliness yeah, or anything yeah. that gets him through that gap. Like it's just the absolute, oh, no. You know, it's not his ballet skills that got him through that gap. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, my favourite point with Stephen Donald 
is there's a point mm. where he tries a dummy switch whilst he's literally off the field of play. <laughs> yes. Where like, well, he tries a dummy switch with Corey Jane. Mm. And basically it's one of those where your player is running towards the touchline. And so the winger correctly runs a switch line so they can keep the ball in. And Stephen Donald yeah. kind of forgets that this isn't him running a move with his 12. And he just keeps hold of the ball. And then eventually he realises that he's over the touchline and tries like throwing the ball over his head back into the field of play before realising, no, 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 he's like five metres out. There's a few moments like that. There's another one where uh, Nonu and Dag play far too close to the touchline mm. um, and Dag ends up taking it out. Sure. Uh, another one, Kahui gets put out and put in touch by Morgan Parra. Yeah. The All Blacks played some really risky rugby that coaches nowadays would not be happy yeah. with playing that close to the touchline. There's a few things in this game that really stand out as a mm. modern coach would hate that in a World yeah. Cup final. Yeah, it is. It is quite bizarre. Some of the, the I mean, as I said, that Pape offload I mentioned earlier, mm. like you wouldn't see that in a World Cup final now. It feels quite risky, but I guess it adds to the intensity that this game had. You know. Yeah, Richard Kahui also lets the ball bounce a lot from kicks. Yeah. Kahui was kind of like lucky to make it through this game without really making any errors. Yeah. I feel like if the, if this game was ten minutes longer, I feel like France would have exposed if that a little bit more. They put more pressure on him. Yeah, I feel like you probably could have. You yeah. know, he, he puts in the one kick, which is perhaps a poor decision. Yeah, as a there's a couple of balls bounce, but yeah, he kind of gets through it. Yeah, there's a point where he gets oh, nailed oh, by Ma- Dusatoire as well, which is fun. And Maxi Maidar makes like an incredible strip on him. Yes. When yeah. New Zealand uh, it's quite an important a really one. good period of pressure. Yeah. And Maidar comes in. He's just moved the wing at this point. Rips the ball away. Yeah. Power of his sideburns. Incidentally, did you see the picture of the French and the Toulouse under-20 team that won the under-20s top 14? No. Under-20s France Championship. So, two points of note, right? One is uh, the second under Mac playing. Right, okay. And, you know, Roman's younger brother, who's number eight, mm-hmm. was playing in that team. The other one is they had a fullback with sideburns. Oh boy. Okay. So that's inspiring. Can we now begin the transition of power? Yeah. From Maxi Madar to this fullback with sideburns, and Toulouse must forever have a back free player with massive yeah. sideburns. And if they could develop a massive wanker to replace Johan Uge as well, then that would be yeah. much appreciated. It was very like, tell me Maxi Madar's your favourite player without telling me Maxi Madar's your favourite player. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, had those massive brown sideburns. So yeah, so Maidar uses the sideburns to rip the ball out. Yeah, France regather it, and they stick it back down into the opposition half. Yeah, there's another moment around this period where Julien Bonaire just like knees Kieran Reed in a rock. Oh, I noticed that. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. Well, I guess that makes up for the McCaw one earlier, but Bonaire's yeah. was a little bit more calculated oh, later, than like, yeah. McCaw's was because he's he's both. It's brilliant because he both knees him in the head in, you know, an attempt to hurt an opposition player that's playing incredibly, yeah. incredibly well. And also he's trying to highlight to the referee that he's in an offside position. <laughs> yeah. And that's the main thing. And like, yeah. there's a point where both French flankers just decide they're going to start rucking, as in using yes. their studs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a point where they just both start doing that. And like, Doucetoire in particular is just completely like giving a few stripes to like most of yeah. the All Blacks. Like he just stands on Conrad Smith at one point. He just <laughs> sticks his foot in. Yeah, oh, it's pretty funny. I mean, yeah, Dusatois then just kind of realizes lads were losing. We this isn't this isn't right. Punches a couple of holes in the All Blacks defense. There's a point where Rougerie nearly sends Memoz through a gap, but the All Blacks defense just stays resolute. And at this point, there's yeah. probably about five or six minutes to go. And France had a four-minute passage of play. Yes, like 
it was just non-stop for four minutes that ball and play time yeah yeah yeah. no it's mad they've got another period before that Mm. where france get into the 22 after dag shanks a clearance yes and they try to run a crash ball i think it's uh mamor's crashing it up loses the ball but loses it backwards another player regathers it he loses it backwards another player regathers it he loses it forwards and it just felt like this could be the moment you know that could have been it if they were just calmer and more careful yeah. with the ball. And World Cup swing on moments like this. You know, as we said, this game came down to so many tiny little bits. And that was that was and a big bit one. They big had one. a real chance to drop a goal there or to even set up and look for a try. Yeah. And instead, they just failed to look after the ball. Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's that's absolutely the moment that, you know, this is, this is <laughs> at the time, the biggest game of rugby that's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. The, the, the ball... Remaining in, I think it was Lionel Nale's grasp at that point, could have yeah. just meant that the league penalty out of the All Blacks and Yash Philly would have certainly or, stepped up and taken that. You know, Tron Duke hit his previous drop goal attempt so well. Yeah, you know, like he could have nailed another one. Could have had a Wilkinson or Stransky moment. Yeah, but you know, no, he has another moment. Tron Duke, not so long after that, where the All Blacks get back into the half mm. and France do as well. Obviously, no, it's Bonnet. Bonnet wins a penalty just outside the French own twenty-two. Yeah. You know, like twenty. Six twenty-seven meters, maybe, from their own line, and Tron Duke absolutely goes for broke, mm. and he very narrowly misses touch from what would have put them ten meters yeah. up on the line. Would have been a phenomenal kick, yeah. like better than Weepoo's in the first half. Yeah. Misses by inches, yeah. but I absolutely don't blame. No, him me going neither. For that. Me neither. Because that is a moment that could win you a World Cup. Yeah, and take that shot yeah, rather than sure. being conservative in the last ten minutes. Absolutely, absolutely, and and France did try and go balls out in the last ten minutes, didn't they? But yeah, the All Blacks just weren't having it so like five minutes left they bring on Sonny Bill Williams and his job is very much yeah. to just just no offloads just be as sensible as you can I mean, Sonny like there's a moment where again sort of with like seven or eight minutes to go where Palisson burns Nonu on the outside but gets tackled by yes. the core into yeah. touch just managed to offload it in time but the ball still goes yeah. into touch afterwards and it's just you have so many of those those little beats where yeah. a French player is doing something really great and using... It's almost always a player doing the thing they're known for. Mm, yeah. So you had, you know, Maydar has a little... In the first half, has a little, like, steppy run yeah. where no one can quite lay a finger on him and anyone that does still can't quite wrap around sure. him. You have Mamoz being sort of physical but getting yeah. off. Mamoz was a Rougery, like, really... Like doing that thing where he hits the acceleration right before contact yeah. and powers on. You have Palace on, yeah, managing to burn two French players on the outside. Vincent Claire making more space than he should on a little mm. run. There's there's so many times where the French, you know, Aaron Nordy linking up out wide as well. So many moments in that, especially the last sort of 15, 20 minutes, where France have to get their players doing the things you want to see from yeah. them. But every time, whatever comes next, then doesn't quite follow through. Whatever comes should come next doesn't so speaking of what justin marshall would coin micro moments on comes jean-marc dusan for his so, first... why have you moved so far ahead there's so much we haven't there? covered yeah so i mean we haven't covered the penalty we we have 10 minutes to go okay well, let's do that let's do that so france absolute as you said about questioning why barcella or yeah Sardesky come on with about 13 minutes to go they absolutely smash a scrum just inside the All Blacks own half. Yeah. And win a penalty. Mm-hmm. And France think, we've got to go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We've got to go for yeah. it. 
So Tranduke steps up to take it, doesn't he? So mm. not the recognised kicker necessarily, but clearly Ash really thinks this is outside the range I'm capable of with this injury. This this is the longest kick Francois Tranduke attempted in his French career. Wow. That's a hell of a stat, that is. 49 metres. Yeah, but who can blame him? You know, that, that could <laughs> be the winning shot in the World Cup final. And if he managed to find an extra few metres, he could have been the hero. He is smiling. You know, obviously there's boos coming down mm. from all over. He is smiling as he takes the run-up as he's looking at it. Yeah. And his part of trying to do kicking stats is he has a really short run-up. He takes basically one step yeah. off the ball. And it looked quite it. natural, didn't it? Yeah. And I think he clearly is really adapting for technique because mm. he has the distance, but it's well wide. Yeah. But you know, again, you don't blame him and he strikes it as well as he could have, likely, yeah. as someone who isn't a recognised long-range kicker. Yeah but manages to make the 50 metres up anyway. Yeah, but alas, it falls short. The All Blacks have no choice but to clear the ball. Wide. Oh yeah, wide, sorry, wide. And yeah, the All Blacks clear the ball, as they France sub their front rowers. And oh yeah, there's another point where Dag managed to get this brilliant like 50 metre clearance into touch from his own 22. Yeah. And that's a proper like saving the All Blacks bacon moment. Yes. And there's a couple of like, Damien Troy starts to make a difference with about 10 minutes to go. He makes at one point one really terrible kick, but then regathers it. Yes. So, you know, you can't you can't blame him for yeah. that. He makes an incredible take where he rips it out of Israel Dag's yes. hands in the air. Yeah, and Dag was, like, complaining about it for some reason. Yeah, but it's perfectly legal. It's perfectly grand. Stephen Donald does um, a really good kick as well. Yes, he does. Where he gets it just outside the right French the 22. 22. Yeah. But right after Tri regathers and rips that ball out of Dag's hands, mm-hmm. just outside the All Blacks 22, the ball comes then comes loose and eventually it's given as, I think, a scrum to the All Blacks, whatever it is. Wherever it happens, right after the whistle is blown, the ball kind of comes loose, spills out. Yashvili hacks it on, and then instead of regathering it, he goes to do a slide tackle. Yeah. And he puts the ball on and kind of trips up Corey Jane, who's coming across to try and stop That him. was pretty mental. Uh, was that after the whistle had gone as well? It was after the whistle. Yeah. After the whistle. He just does a slide tackle on Corey that Jane. That guy's such a colossal knobhead, isn't he? I love <laughs> just, him. I love him. This all moves us on to, as you were saying yes. previously, that kind of final five So minutes. yeah, uh, Jean-Marc Dusan comes on for his test debut. In the World Cup final for Yashvili, who's having a really good game, you can only imagine Yashvili just physically could not carry on any longer because he's yeah. been all over the park at this point. But yeah, I don't, I don't know the rationale behind the decision. I genuinely think Mark Lee Avramont would have taken pride in putting somebody on for the test debut in the World yeah. Cup final. I think because he had this whole maverick facade that it was, it's not even a facade; it's just a narrative. Yeah, it's just like facts. he capped his younger brother just because it would appease him, his mum, his mum. Yeah. But anyway, Jean-Marc Dusan comes on, puts the ball into scrum as his first touch for France and passes the ball on to Tranduk. They have a bit of an attack at the, the middle of the field. And then Dusan comes in for his second touch of the ball for France and he knocks it on. And you feel like experienced scrum off Dimitri Ashvili would have managed to keep that and give a crisp pass. Yes. And it's just like, this is exactly why you don't put somebody on for their fucking test debut in the fucking World Cup final in the is last that five why? minutes. Because, is that the, because, I've always wondered because they the might why. not do very well. Like It's I've, it's complete okay. madness by Le- Leivremont to do that. Right, but, okay, so I was watching BT Sport, mm-hmm. right, the week before the 2019 World Cup final, and all I could think when we got to the final itself was England would have won that if Marcus Smith had started. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah maybe Alex Dombramp. Yeah, Alex Dombrant would have won the World Cup single-handedly. Yeah, yeah. Like you could have just entered Alex Dombrant as twenty-first country, and he would have won the World yeah. Cup. Yeah, it's a really maybe good Sam point. Simmons would have beaten him. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. You can't get into that. But annoyingly, he has caps. So, yeah. But yeah, so Dusan shits the bed, 
Um, Man, I want to give credit awful. in that ruck to Richie McCall. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. like barrels the entire French team over and spills the ball out. Of really course, of course, yeah. And it's, it's not the but easiest pickup, still... but Yashvili still would have dealt with it, or any experienced yeah. international scrum half would. Para would have dealt with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, Exactly. Weepu or Ellis would have dealt with it. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. Would, hey. David Mele probably have would have dealt with it. <laughs> David Mele would have dealt with it. Yeah. That's, an, that's, that's a great like new sitcom. David Mele would have <laughs> dealt with it. Uh, would you have dealt with it as a scrum off? No, because I like I, I don't think so. Because I may be a scrum off, but I'm not experienced at the international level. Much like Jean-Marc really? Dussan at this point. Like if they put me on... I wouldn't have done a very good job. And you know what? I don't think it would have been a very good idea for them to pick me in the World Cup final. Also, you're not French. They would yeah. have got fined again yeah. for that separately. that too. That too. I probably wouldn't have got to the point where they were allowed to pick me. But The other thing about Dusan Mind you, they picked David Smith, so is, who knows. Yes. Dusan runs on and he starts shouting and screaming orders at all the forwards instantly. <laughs> like they're not already doing imagine? a great job. Yeah. Can you imagine being Julien Bonaire there? And going, who Get this a load of this wanker? prick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this thing. Prick has just went on and starts screaming and saying it has to do our jobs. We've got to a World Cup final on our own. Yeah. And you, a 21-year-old kid, think you can tell us what to do? No, thanks, mate. That's a moment in which as a scrum-off, you don't want to tell your forwards what no. to do. You want to shut up. Yeah. You want to tell them they're doing well, you know? Yeah, you want to go, good job, let's keep it up. Yeah. Not start hitting more rucks, Julian, you lazy prick. <laughs> so, yeah, the All Blacks then just see there's an opportunity to wind the clock down. And why wouldn't they? Mm. So they are taking the full, like, 30-odd seconds over it every single phase. McCaw is completely at the centre of all of this and making sure everything is organised, everything's as they have practised. They're piling all eight forwards into all of the rucks to make sure there is no opportunity. Yeah. Aaron Ordecky keeps kind of trying to get his leg over to boot the ball out rather than trying to counter ruck, which, to be fair, is actually a pretty good tactic. But... but- Bonaire does a great little one where he like lodges one foot into the ruck so mm. he can then wiggle the other one yeah. about and he manages to hit the ball then the referee tells him to get away. Yeah. Um, but I think he was fine. Yeah, I think, I he, think he was perfectly alright. But you know, he forces McCall to play the ball I suppose so yeah. uh, it's an, an extra phase therefore an extra opportunity to attack the ball but it's a masterclass in the retention of possession from the All Blacks and eventually they get a penalty go to the touchline and again, they're just thinking the same thing. Take this line out down. Take as much time as we possibly can over it. Uh, and mm. they do that brilliantly. They're, they're into the 78th, 79th minute by this point. Yeah. And they just keep playing very slowly until eventually it crosses 80. Yeah. And Dimitri this. goes, he just goes, oh, nothing wasted. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> and he shoots out offside and tackles Ellis before he can kick the ball before out. he's even reached and, like, to pick the ball up. Yeah, like take your chance, man. I don't. I, don't, I think I'm all for that. I love that. Yeah, because like at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's legal, he's doing whatever he can to make sure he gets hold of the ball because he has nothing to lose. Otherwise, yeah, he's going to kick like, the ball out. They're going to lose the World Cup final. Like there is more chance of France winning that game if he shoots up offside. Yeah, and maybe he gets away with it. Yeah, than there is if he doesn't, and the All Blacks can easily kick the ball out from right. A naught point naught 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 one percent chance he gets away with that because I think no, I I think he's close enough. That the hands have gone on the ball. That it hasn't picked it up, but the hands have touched the ball when he goes. Yeah. I think there is a maybe like five to ten percent chance think... that some referees mm. might let that go, especially with what we said about Craig Joubert giving being more lenient than the guess, final. Yeah. Good shit out by Solzowski to yeah. conclude. I think he's got like a seven percent chance getting away with that. Yeah. Absolutely all for it. Great work by Dmitry Solzowski, but 
It gives the All Blacks a penalty, and it gives us a really weird split in celebrations. Because normally, one of the great things about rugby is that kicking the ball out of full time means that everyone celebrates at once, and you have a moment mm, of actual unity, and yeah. the, the, everything exploding, everyone going. However, you then have the split up. So the moment the penalty is given, Corey Jane starts celebrating yeah. the World Cup. The moment the ball is kicked out, which McCaw starts celebrating yeah. the World Cup, the moment the referee then blows his whistle like four seconds later, and it signals the end... Is your dad starts celebrating the Wonder World Cup? The moment the Dimitri Salzeski shoots up, Andy Ellis starts celebrating. Yeah. So you have, yeah, like four moments where the World Cup is won, mm. and you have different players, and especially like you watch the. Um, I watched back some clips from the Auckland fan zone of uh, them watching this game, and they had thousands of people packed into fan zone, yeah. which just kind of goes to show the pressure that was on New Zealand of people coming down to not even watch at the stadium, not even watching at the local pub, people coming down to like a point on the harbour to watch that game and no one quite celebrates at the same yeah. time and it doesn't give you that really satisfying roar as the sure, ball goes out yeah. you get like you know like england wales in 2015 or yeah. something where even south africa in 2019 where you can see it all happen at once yeah instead you get four moments of them all going oh but are you, hey, 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 hey. also can we just talk about the fact that andy ellis like so like hogs the ball to make sure he's the one who he kicks is. it out he is absolutely like, that's guy. that's a, a possible dick of the day nomination there the fact that like <laughs> he, he prevents you know like Stephen Donald probably would have wanted to kick it out but I suppose maybe would have felt uncomfortable so maybe would have said Dag mm. you can do it or even Richie McCaw could do it you know yeah. as the captain but instead Andy Ellis is like no I've spent so long thinking I'm the bench scrum off I get the chance to kick the ball out in the World Cup final and like genuinely when that penalty is given he he shields that ball like his baby yeah he is like he is he is tucks it under his jumper all, both arms you know? locked around yeah there is no way anyone... The, the only person that could ever get it off him is Dimitri Yashvili. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Sarzewski. Yeah. Sarzewski tried his best. Yeah. But no, so Andy Ellis makes sure that he's the one who does it. He kicks the ball out and New Zealand win the 2011 Rugby World Cup. Yeah. The celebrations, everything kicks off. The crowd lose it. They start cheering. Richie McCall looks happy for the first time in his life. Yeah. I mean, even Dan Carter's happy in the... The, the stadium yeah. graham henry comes out afterwards and says i feel so proud to be a new zealander yeah. i don't know if you've seen richie mccall's interview yes i did the, f- the first thing he says is i feel shagged mate yeah i i thought that was what he said and i was kind of thinking no i must have misheard that i must have misheard that but i'm absolutely shagged <laughs> i mean his, his first words yeah, after yeah. winning the world cup of course there is another really iconic interview moment that happens at this point and you know exactly what i'm mm. about to say don't you with yes. Thierry Dusatois, or is it? When one of the, I don't know who it is, it's one of the New Zealand reporters says, Oh, I'm here with uh, Thierry Henry, the French captain, and then carries on for a bit. And then he says, Yeah, uh, going back, Thierry Henry, the ex French footballer, he would have been really proud of you. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, he tries to He tries to, to rescue it, it. It's like, No, mate, you got the guy's name wrong. Like, just own up <laughs> to it and just say, Sorry, mate, I mean, Dusatois, you know, forgive me. And Thierry Dusatois just kind of looks at him with disdain, just like, yeah. Why the fuck have you come like, up to me I... after I've played my heart out in literally the biggest game of my entire life and you have the nerve to come up to me and call me Thierry Henry and then I, try and stand I just out. played a 9.5 performance. Yes. And you're going to call me... Is that what I need? The extra 0.5 and you'll learn my goddamn name. Yeah. Honestly, the disrespect, man. That was awful, calling him Thierry Henry. We then uh, also see Francois Tranduc crying, just mm. with his hands on his hips crying. Yeah. Which, bless him, yeah. you know, is that kind of... There's always two sides to it. Yeah. So, the other thing I saw here is Emil Untermatt gets interviewed for some yeah. reason. And, I mean, like, 
I would have understood it better if he just spoke in French. <laughs> yeah, he did struggle a bit, didn't he? At least they didn't send out the like, Avermont. He, he talks too quickly for someone of his understanding of sure, English. His yeah. English is clearly like conversational. Yeah. But he tries to talk so fast mm. that he just muddles up every word yeah. and none of it sounds eligible. It's quite bizarre. I don't really know why they pulled out Antomac, but no, you know, whatever. I guess just no one would listen to Leo. Yeah, exactly. So it's next, next in line, I guess. God, at this point, at this point, he had an eleven-year-old son. Oh wow, that's mad to think, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Uh, watching on, thinking like, oh, my dad's not very good. I might I might become better than him. Yeah, I I need to do better than this. Yeah. So the silver medalists of the 2011 Rugby World Cup are France. We'll we'll talk about yes. them first, and we'll talk about the All Blacks. Fair play to France, you know, they, they took a lot of criticism during the week and in the weeks leading up to this, but they played very, very well mm. in the final. And they were really, really yeah. difficult to shift. They absolutely saved the best of that last. Yeah. The best they played in the World Cup and the second best and the third best and the fourth best were all rolled into that one final, yeah, you know? Sure. But the only thing that comes close is the last 10 minutes against Japan. Yeah. That's the only other time, which feels so long ago. It does, doesn't it? Like, that was over a year ago. watching talk, this, it was, that. yeah... I've been watching this at the time. It was just a month, like, and that felt like a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Whereas here, we've got a year and a half. Yeah, um, what it's a been such a long time. Year. I'm yeah. talking about all uh, So the gold medalists are the All Blacks on New Zealand, and Richie McCaw mm. takes his gold medal, and you know the, the whole All Blacks squad take their gold medals, including Mills Moliaina and Colin Slade yes. and Dan Carter, who all get great cheers from the crowd in Eden Park. Yeah. before Richie McCaw lifts the Webb Ellis Cup aloft uh, on his home turf. And you just got to think fair play to them, you know, that they, they so richly deserve that after waiting, what, how, how many years was it? So that was the seventh World Cup. They'd won the first one. Yeah, and so Richie McCaw lifts the Webb Ellis Cup and, you know, they, they they never live that down and nor should they. Looks Looks satisfied for the first time in his life. Yeah. He's finally done it. He's finally made it. He's finally achieved the thing that... He'd been working towards since he was five years old. Yeah. Any last words on the All Blacks? I mean, it's hard to argue with the All Blacks win the World Cup, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's they were the best team in the tournament. Yeah. And maybe they struggled at points. I hold they would have won this game against pretty much... They would have won against any of the four-quarter fi- semi-finalists. Yeah. I think if they had to play that game against the Springboks, it's a different yeah. conversation. Yeah, you're right. Just because of how what that Springbok team strength, yeah, were. yeah, at full strength especially, yeah, yeah. But it's hard to see beyond them as they were the best team in the tournament. They were the most consistent team in the tournament, mm-hmm. and they put in probably I think against Australia maybe the best performance other than the t- both teams in this final. But I think yeah. possibly them against Australia in the semi final was the best and most dominant yeah. performance of the four World For Cup. Sure. So. I have no arguments. I think New Zealand deserved to win the World Cup. And I'm glad I finally said that because yeah. so much of New Zealand has been waiting for closure because they felt like they didn't deserve it until I'd said it. I mean, a lot of the time, people look back on this World Cup a lot less fondly than the 2015 mm. one in terms of the All Blacks winning it because yeah. there was so much uh, around it in terms of them struggling through this final and Dan Carter pulling out and all of the everything that had happened along the way. It was quite a, it was quite a, a tough road to victory for them, but... They'd been so dominant in the previous four years of international rugby mm. that, and beyond that, you know, it's you can't pick out another team and say they deserve to win it, you know? No. 
a lot of people say and like in the you know i tweeted yesterday before we record this uh yeah. about the fact that i was uh, watching this game and i had a lot of french fans in my mentions saying this is the one that got away this is the, the game that we should have won and i think yeah. it's fair enough saying that france should have won this game but new zealand should have won this tournament yes they deserve to i completely agree with that if france had won this world cup it would have been that would have been such weird weird injustice yeah but if france had won this game it would have been deserved because they were sure. outstanding yeah so it become you know there's a kind of conversation there, mm. but I loved this game and I thought this tournament was so fun and so it's good. amazing and you know you kind of because of the turning point it was in rugby a bit marked a shift from the last edges of the amateur era were being sanded off at this point yeah and by the following World Cup defenses are so much more organised yeah and I think you know a game like this World Cup final would have been so much more kicking based yeah. Whereas there's still these kind of like shreds of something different yeah. running here. And I think this World Cup final was the perfect mesh and the perfect changing of the guard type moment in terms of styles of rugby and the evolution of the game mm-hmm. as it went on. Agreed. And in terms of having a full crowd that were all so into it and it being shown around the world and it being a big, big event yeah. in, you know, how many other countries you wanted to watch. Yeah. Uh, especially, however, in New Zealand, where, you know, there was, um, we did mention this at the oh, start. Oh, of course. So, on the five terrestrial channels, this was broadcast, this match was broadcast live on four of them. On the other channel, your other option was Jaws the Revenge. So, join us next time for the Jaws the Revenge retrospective podcast, yeah. when we'll be looking over Jaws the Revenge in detail. Yeah. Um, man of Match and Dick of the Day, should we do that? Do you, okay, sure. Um, okay. Um, do you know that just quickly the Michael Caine's story about Jaws of Revenge? No. So Michael Caine's in it. Michael Caine, who is a friend of the podcast and has been on the podcast before. Of course he has, yeah. Hence why I bring it up. I am Michael Caine. No, he, he infamously said, I've never seen the film. By all accounts, it's terrible. But I have seen the house it bought me and it's terrific. Fair enough. Good quote. Yeah, did it for the money. Fair play. Um, <laughs> just like all the All Blacks did. Richard McCott only did this for the money. Um, where should we start? So, should we start with Dick of the Day? Okay. End on the positive. Okay. So uh, for me, there's there's a few options. Mm. So one of them is uh, Israel Dag for that kick to touch or not. Yes, Jean Mac Dusan has to take a bit of flack, but more so than that, Mark Lieven wants the one who chose to put him on the pitch and put him in that position. So that's entirely fair. Stephen Donald for attempting that weird pass from out of the pitch. Yes. Like I, I genuinely laughed out loud at that, and I would have even if this wasn't literally the World Cup final. But it's mm. got to be Piruwipu for kicking the ball okay. straight into Franz Wachandik's hands and then kicking it out on the full straight afterwards. Having already missed like three or four kicks at goal, it's got to be Piruwipu. It's the World Cup final, man. It's, I'm amazed that I had that many nominations at the final, by the way. That many yeah. people have managed to do something stupid by the final. Can I mention, this is Piruwipu's first Man of the Match or Dick of the Day nomination. Really? And it's in the final. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's not the way I think people that remember this World Cup fondly thought it would have gone. Yeah. No, I mean, I had far fewer Dick of the Day nominations. Okay. Uh, a couple of them you've covered in terms of Dag. Yeah. And Damien Trial also skies a kick, but then he regathers it, so he yeah. rules himself out. And the doo-doo says T.I. Henry, um, <laughs> which is That's unforgivable, Awful. Man. Yeah. Another Dick of the Day, right, is the phase clock. Right. So... When in the last, you mentioned this, that four straight minutes of France having the ball, hmm. right? They go up to 17 phases. Yeah. And that's in the last 10 minutes. And the phase clock on the scoreboard replaces the actual clock. So you can't see how long's left time wise. Right. 
So you spend yourself just staring at it and looking up, and they don't bring it back. You can only see that it's 16 phases. Like, I know, I worked that out because it was 15 a minute ago, but I don't know how long's left in terms of time because you haven't had the phase clock up since it hits five yeah. phases. That's fine when you're watching it on so, YouTube, but when you're watching it live, that's not great, yeah. is it? No, exactly. So the phase clock is one contender for the dick, dick, dick of the day. Mm-hmm. I then had a couple Can't wait of... for this to be amp finger. <laughs> and my dick of the day is Martin Rodriguez. Yeah. No, you know, so... There's lots of people it could possibly be. But at the end of the day, Mark Lievemont put someone on for their debut at Scrum Half for a Scrum Half who was playing incredibly, incredibly well yeah. and was very, very The man you want to close a game out. Yeah, a man who had dragged his club into the European final single-handedly yeah. a year earlier. Yeah. You know, like, knew how to play these games. <laughs> it's mindless, and also, isn't like, it? And, like, that... That is just the headline in all of the shit Mark Lievemont had yeah, done. You know, sure. he'd isolated and <laughs> and pissed off his entire team to the point where they'd held a mutiny during the World Cup knockouts. You know, they, he'd been fired despite the fact he could have won the World Cup this day. He was still going to be fired from his job because everyone Speaks hated volumes, him. Man. He he publicly disagreed with Thierry Deuce towards account of what happened at the Arrowhead moments after his captain had said it. He then like didn't turn up to the press com. He turned up to the press conference late, and didn't give a reason. There's just like there's endless, endless things, and so I can't look beyond the man of the match. No, the sorry, the oh, final, hope. yeah, the final last dick of the day for the 2011 Rugby World Cup is Mark Lieberman. That's fitting, and I don't think anyone could ever argue with That's that. That's very fitting. I love that man of the match. This should be a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, so for me, I think there's six players in contention. Okay, let's talk through them. I'm going to run through them. So you have the three French back rowers. Yes. You have Thierry Dussetois, is phenomenal, yeah. 9.5. You have Imanol Aranordiki. He's great. Who was brilliant, yeah. pretty much stole every line out. You know, he was so good at the line out in particular, then just kept popping around the pitch whenever they needed him. Uh, you had Julian Bonnet, who I thought was so annoying. Yeah. I was so, so close to taking it from me. I thought he was... God, he was good. Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. I thought Kieran Reid was well. brilliant. Yeah. Carried the ball really, really well. Kind of showed something the All Blacks had been lacking a bit of someone direct, mm. but still with the yeah. hands. They hadn't quite... You know, Victor Vito played very well during the lead, the first few stages of the World Cup, but I thought Reid added something. Mm. I think Marnonu was excellent as ever yeah i just think he's been almost flawless in the world cup in Mm. in this world cup in a way that makes you have sheer disbelief that he'll get even better in four years time and then dimitri ashvili i thought was really really very good and really just wound the all blacks up and is a big part in them starting to crumble a bit as they went on absolutely but then the other guy i think ultimately there was the six in contention for me but it comes down to a a 1v1 a two-horse race between the two captains, Richie McCaw and Thierry Dussetois. Yeah. I think they were the two... It's fitting that they were the captains, they were the figureheads, they were the poster boys, because they were the two best players on the pitch. I think McCaw did such a good job of disrupting France and so much of them failing to score more than once, despite the amount of territory pressure, and especially like they put so much pressure on. But also possession they had, you know, they spent a lot of time in the first half in particular just keeping hold of the ball. A lot of that was McCaw slowing it down, doing things like forcing the knock-on by Dusan, etc. I thought, yeah, McCaw was phenomenal. But, right, I still hadn't decided this when the game finished. Who would be my man of the match between those two? 
And I knew it was a two-horse race. This is what I've talked about at length, you know, brilliant, endless tackles everywhere, scores a try, phenomenal, always in support. At one point, takes Kieran Reid out really blatantly off the ball, and I loved that. Just like completely takes him out of the defensive line. It's great. But we then get to the post-match interview, right, with this absolutely neck and neck. And Richie McCaw was asked about Stephen Donald. And he said, Jinkies, he was composed. And so, for using the word jinkies in a post-match interview moments after winning the World Cup, Richie McCaw is deducted points, <laughs> and so my man of the match is Thierry Dusan. Damn right it is. <laughs> yeah, I think that's entirely fair. I mean, for me, all the people you nominated, as well as Rougerie, mm. I think Rougerie was oh, yeah, yeah. phenomenal. But yeah, I agree. It's Thierry Dusitois for me. I think the the more closely you look at this game, the more and more Dusitois kind of shines. And also yeah. the key moments just kind of centred around him. And I think that regardless of the fact that he's not done much in the rest of the World Cup or international rugby in 2011, he is deserving World Player of the Year. <laughs> yes, off the back of this one. <laughs> this one incredible one performance. performance. He He's world-class man. Like that was... That's up there with the performance in 2007. That just like, yeah. that's one of the best individual performances I've ever seen by any player, especially on in defeat. He's yeah. he's untouchable for me. Dusitois is insane. Yeah, so no, he's Thierry my man of the match I, as well. Yeah. So, two votes for Thierry Dusitois. Where does that leave him in the overall table of man of the match and dicks of the day? Ooh. I have now drawn up what is at present the full list of everyone who's had multiple nominations for okay. Man of Match and Dick of the Day. I've got a full list, as well as doing it by sorting by country and picking out a 15 of players with the most Man of the Match and Dick of the Day nominations. Yes. So okay. in the next episode, we're going to go over this, are we not? Yeah. So we are going to come back to this next episode. We're going to pick this up next week and run through both the Man of the Match and Dick of the Day's Tournaments teams of the ta- teams of the ta- tournament teams of the t- 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 yeah. we're going to name the man of the tournament and the dick of the tournament. Yeah, each. we're going to decide all of this. We're going to run for our teams of the tournament. Try the tournament look as well. Back, try the tournament. We're going to look back on the tournament in full as it was and reflect on this <laughs> this endeavor of watching all forty eight Rugby World Cup twenty eleven matches back yes. in full. So we finished the World Cup now, but. We are going to eke out one more episode dedicated to this World Cup where we wrap everything up, we reflect on it, and we just think about good times, you know? Yeah. Good vibes. And in that episode as well, we are going to announce which World Cup we will be doing next. Yes. And between now and then, we're going to do a mini-series on another thing that isn't a World Cup. Yes. Retrospective, looking back on that, we'll be naming that in next week's episode on wrapping up the world cup the retrospective yeah. retrospective yeah i just finally like to say you know uh, i mean i hope you tune into that next episode uh, yeah. that should be a lot of fun but yeah uh, thank you to anybody who's listened to this far i know we've gone two hours in and just generally throughout this this has been a really great experience watching this world cup back it's obviously it's it's something we always have thought fondly about and yeah doing this podcast has been so much fun so yes i'd like to thank you robbie for having me on for this full series obviously People didn't didn't come for me at the start. People came for you, and they've, they've stayed for me. Obviously, I'm now the face of obviously. this. Um, yeah, there's no there's no real complaints. Uh, and that's 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 just the way it is. I'm sorry about to steal all of your audience and that no, they may not like you. But no, no, no. Th- thank you for having me on for for doing all of this. It's it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed every episode uh, apart from this one. Uh, no, uh, I'm 
<laughs> right, okay, no, fine. Uh, Wales See France ya. was a slog, but yeah. No, this has been a lot of fun. So thank you to everybody who's listened and whatnot. And we'll see yeah. you next thank time. Thank you to everyone that's listened. Thank you to you yourself. Thank you especially to Rihanna Garth Jones, Sam Lana, Adam Jenkins, Ali Stokes, Cami Black, Blaine Scully, uh, Rihanna again, Gareth Mason, Tom Savage, Ben James, Nick Heath, Sam Lana again, Sav from Linebright Rugby, Jamie Wall, Graham Love, the Dale Brothers from Draft Rugby, Sam Roberts, Elgin Alderman, Connor Trainer. Canada International, Chris Corcoran, Wales Touch International, Lee Calvert, Josh Gardner for being guests on the podcast and being such wonderful ones at that. Yeah. And P Money. Uh, thank you to P Money for Michael being Kane. our sponsor. Thank you to Andam and Rowe for letting me fall in love. And thank you to yourself, William, for the podcast. But thank you mostly to everyone that's listened and has engaged in such as Deacon Manu fan fiction. Yes. Um, that's been the real joy of this. We're no doubt going to and... repeat all of this again next week, but. Yeah. bring it on so all right we'll see you then for that thank you everybody good night good night planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.